Hello, this is Do Go On. I'm Matt Stewart. And I'm Taran Jayamana. And uh, we're in Sydney. And uh, we're about to be in Brisbane. And we're doing live shows. They're called Dry Dryer. And also, who knew with Matt Stewart in both those cities? And you can get details at mattstewartcomedy.com. Anything else you want to tell the good listeners that do go on, Saran? Well, the whole point of this was you thought that it might be more engaging if you had a different voice. But you've said most of the information. So, hey, come see us in Sydney and Brisbane. Yeah, that was engaging. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. Cha-ching. <laughs> you can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalised results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also not just write it, but read it too. <laughs> And edit it. (laughs) Hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music or ebooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. (laughs) (laughs) And you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Welcome to another episode of Do Go On. My name is Dave Warnicke and as always I'm here with Matt Stewart. Hey Dave, so good to be here. Great to be here with you and also this week we are joined by Cass Page and Joel Dusha. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. Hello, we're in Sans Pants HQ. Yeah, welcome. We're at it's, your home. Yeah, I live here. This is my bedroom. This is ah. our crib. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, welcome to MTV Cribs. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, no, thanks so much for having us, but also you're welcome for us having you. Yeah, yeah. we appreciate hey, it. We're having each other at once. It's yeah. like Podcast 69. <laughs> it's a full-on Podcast 69. Full podcast for two. Yeah. <laughs> it's a rare podcasting experience, but it does happen. Yeah. And you're listening to history right now, listeners. <laughs> Dave, well, it's been quite a while since the douche has been on, probably to a lesser extent. Cass, you, when were you last on Cass? Ah. Oh. Many moons, but only moons. Yeah, only a few months, I reckon. But douche, yeah. it's been years since the Ryan Gosling episode. Yeah, that was uh, it was like around episode fifty of Dugo on. I think. Bloody hell! Wow, we're closing in on three fifty. Jesus Christ! <laughs> so what? yeah, it's, it's been it's been a while. So your Gosling report really broke the internet. Yeah, we had to wait for it to uh, heal itself, but it's yeah. healed enough, and we're back now. And Matt is going to tell you how this show works. 
Okay, so how it works, douche, yep. uh, is one of Jess, Dave, and I usually, mm-hmm. Jess isn't here, so that's all her <laughs> Oh, no, I'm already up to a bad start. <laughs> but one of us goes, uh, chooses a report, a topic, mm-hmm. based on a, usually a, a, a listener suggestion, and we'll go away and we'll learn about it, and we'll write up a little old-school school report, and then we'll come back and we'll share it with the class, which in this case is the three of you. Fantastic. I'm doing the report this week. Great. Uh, honestly... One day we'll get it really succinct yeah, by three fifty. Really <laughs> that was one of my worst in a while. But uh, to get on the topic, we ask a question, and the question this week is: anyone can answer. Yep. Mm-hmm. And uh, someone we believe is keeping score at home, so you could be on the. Yeah, you could get a point. You could be on the spreadsheet. My first ever point, because I don't think I've been on Do Go On except when I did my own report, yes, which you means right. so you had your own question. Mm, had my own question. Yeah. So the question is. Back in 1907, oh, I'm in what <laughs> was Beijing known as in Western Europe? Oh, Peking. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it. I had one chance Sorry. and I blew it. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you, you were scared off by the year. Oh, yeah. You I wasn't was, around then. Yeah, that's yeah, right. That's, <laughs> oh, man. I wasn't oh, alive I mean, then. so much trouble. Fortunately, I was. So I yeah. remember that. It was back when Essendon were winning most of their premierships. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, very, very touchy subject at the moment. Um, so let's move on. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. So we're talking today about the 1907 Peking to Paris automobile race. Oh, <laughs> that's okay. Great. I'm not great with geography, but I'm good enough at geography to know that that's a long race. Yeah. And 1907, not famous for having good cars. That's right. All good roads. Now, I also am not good with geography. The cars didn't have to be boats at any stage, <laughs> no, did they? they didn't, Good. No. Okay, I didn't think so, but I just wanted to check. No, I, I mean, it's the same question I asked when I saw the topic. I'm like, wait, hang on. That is all land, right? They're different yeah. countries, Russia. and our country is an island. Everyone's country should be an island. Yeah. Russia connects Asia and Europe. I'm confidently saying, even though, again, I am. That seems right for me. Oh, you're bang on. That's, they, have, they go through Russia. That's um, huge. Well, that, that's how they got there so fast. Ha <laughs> 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 ha. Russia. So this topic <laughs> was suggested by Denzel Aravalo from Prontiprid, who has described this story as a romp. Oh, oh we love oh, a romp. I, I love, love a romp. more than a romp. But would, would you agree, is it a delightful romp? I think it's, well, yeah, it's definitely a... Oh, no, uh, it's falling. It's not, de- it's not delightful, but it's... It's a pretty fun romp. If I had to guess, I would say that this is probably more, rather than a delightful romp, maybe a chaotic romp. It's chaotic. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, uh, comedy of errors. Yeah. Are we in yeah. for a ride? Is it some sort of rat race? Yeah, but it's a bit of a rat race energy. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, normally uh, people who suggest topics will write out a long description. They're the only two words that Denzel gave us. Just a romp. <laughs> and I put up three topics, all different kinds of races, a horse race, a car race and a plane race. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is the one the Patreons selected. Shout out to the Dugo on Patreons. Um, car race, probably the most exciting of those three races, I would say. Especially when you're looking at 1907. Yeah, we hadn't true. figured, well, I mean, 1907 plane race would be. The plane race was the most deadly <laughs> option. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah obviously, they, they didn't want to go that way. Yeah. Um, Neither did the planes. <laughs> so I, I will. I think throughout refer to uh, Beijing as Peking or Beijing, um, yeah. depending on the source or whatever. But it's the same. It's the same place. I was apparently it came from. It was one of those words that was. 
think it was the Portuguese or someone like that. Yeah. Had a word that was similar to Peking and evolved into Peking. And then after a while in the, I think in like the eighties or something, China was like, Hey, why we, it's Beijing. Yeah. <laughs> and then finally like America and, and England started calling it Beijing in the eighties and nineties. China might have been talking about it before then. Well, it's always <laughs> think it's such a funny, the funny thing where and we've talked about it on the show before that people are like, uh, this you can call your city whatever you like. We're calling <laughs> yeah. it this. Yeah. It's so weird, Isn't right? It's strange. Yeah, it feels like who it's their city. Let's just call Tell, it what they ask call what it. What their name is? I feel like I want to oh, call <laughs> Germany Deutschland, but I feel like. You become, you seem like a bit of an asshole, <laughs> right? It immediately feels like you're going to follow it up with it. Yeah, I've traveled. <laughs> yeah, I've been to Barcelona. <laughs> I've been abroad, studied. You go traveled. to like a- Really lived. Uh, you should like try it. A pizza hut restaurant or something. And, a margarita for me, please. <laughs> a cappuccino. <laughs> Sorry, what? <laughs> so, so says the 15-year-old behind the counter. <laughs> the Peking to Paris race. I'm calling it a race. It sort of started out- uh, wasn't necessarily meant to be a race. They called them raids. There was this French. Oh my god, that sounds way more, worse. It was more like the journey. They were just driving yeah. from point A to point B. If you made it, you succeeded. It wasn't like first place, second. Yeah, place. So it was more like a challenge, an yeah. endurance challenge. That's right. But this one sort of became a race. Some people still think of it more of a raid. Whatever. I'm calling it a race. Yeah. So at this point in 1907, cars were only just starting to become popular in Europe. <laughs> Uh, you know, they don't, they'd been around for a few decades, but they were only things for the wealthy, really. Yeah. Um, and this race was the first time cars made their way across some region, regions of Asia. So there were places they were going through where people were like, the fuck is that? <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> <laughs> well, our map ends here, so I assume we're going to be driving to the void. <laughs> oh. oh, there's people here. Uh, the, the race or the course was a distance of around, depending on the source, 14 and a half uh, miles or, uh, sorry, 14 and a half to 16,000 kilometers, which is around nine to 10,000 miles. Originally, uh, I, because of the way you said it, I thought you weren't going to add the zeros. And I was like, I am really bad at geography. If it turns out Paris <laughs> and Beijing are 14 miles apart. <laughs> <laughs> uh, many city to city motor races had been run over the previous few decades, but circuit, circuit racing was uh, growing in popularity at this point. According to Britannica, the first speedway purpose-built for automobile racing was constructed in 1906 at Brooklands near Weybridge in Surrey, England. That was a 4.45-kilometre circuit. Wikipedia, though, slightly contradicts this. I only bring this up for patriotic reasons. Because <laughs> um, <laughs> Wikipedia says that while Brooklands was the first purpose-built uh, banked motor racing venue... Mm. Aspendale Racecourse in Melbourne, Australia, oh. a pear-shaped track was close to a mile in length, was the world's first purpose-built motor racing circuit, which opened in January of 1906. I'm believing That's Wikipedia. So fun. I love that. We yeah. did it. Um, I thought I was bracing myself for you to mention Bathurst or something. Like, oh. as in, like, <laughs> turns out the first racetrack was in Bathurst. <laughs> yeah. Mount Panorama. <laughs> <laughs> was like, purpose. Moses came down from Mount Panorama <laughs> with the... It was... Chipped into like tablets. Yeah. The Conrod straight. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the idea for the. We bring up Bathurst so, so much on the show. That's come up a lot, doesn't it? It must baffle a lot of listeners. Yeah. Well, I, it'll baffle them. <laughs> <laughs> Bathel, Bathel, Bathelhurst. 
No. This, yeah, well, <laughs> I reckon, yeah. It's close enough to something. Any chance to bring up Brocky or Dick Johnson, <laughs> I'll do it. I mean, Dick Johnson, come on. One of great the great names. names. Both of, penis, penis. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the idea for this race seemed to come as a response to these kind of new circuit racetracks. The challenge was laid down in the Paris newspaper, or I should say Paris. Yes, <laughs> you've traveled, you I see. Spent some time abroad. Ah, uh, yes. Uh, the newspaper Le Matter, which or Le Matter, something like that. I think it means the morning. Dave's been to Paris recently. Yeah, I'm looking yeah, at yeah I remember a lot. Remember yeah. a lot. <laughs> but it's spelled Le Matin, so I might say that wrong a few times. Anyway, it, so in Le Matter on the 31st of January 1907, they wrote, uh, probably in French, but anyway, the translation <laughs> is, the supreme use of the automobile is that it makes long journeys possible, but all we have done is make it go round in circles. Uh, also in pairs. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah, in Australia we were driving around in pairs. Yeah. <laughs> what needs to be proved today is that as long as a man has a car, he can do anything and go anywhere. Is there anyone who will undertake to travel this summer from Peking to Paris by automobile? That was the challenge laid down. That is a very funny statement to read in the newspaper. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> do you reckon you would have taken things more personally back in the old times? Like, if I read that, I would have been like, he is talking to me, but I, I'm saying no. Yeah. But if someone was to say that in the magazine now, I'd be like, just who cares? Yeah. It's like a very powerful speech being like, it almost talking like a car's like an animal, being like, this beast is caged. Are you the man to set it free? <laughs> and also, like, saying claiming that a car can take you anywhere. It's like, all right, well, there's a reason you're going from Beijing to... To Paris rather than Beijing to LA. Yeah. <laughs> Good luck going the other way. <laughs> Not gonna happen. But hey, yeah. no Not one had done something anyway. like that before, had they? Uh, I don't think in this kind of length. They had there had been ones across Europe and stuff, mm. um, but I don't think anything like this. Uh, so the race was sponsored by Le Matter, uh, and the winner would receive a relatively modest prize of a magnum of mum champagne. Oh. Oh. Okay. I was hoping it was going to be one ice cream. <laughs> a, mag- a magnum. Now, am I saying that right? Is it mum? Mum. I've got to. I've always called all, her mum. We all, we all say mum. Okay, great. I say mum. I'm so paranoid. I don't know why. More was, than anyone, French people corrected me on pronunciation. Because when I was in France, they were. Everything was like, what do you. This is not how we say it. You know? Yeah. <sighs> But I guess I had the exact opposite experience in my very short tenure in France where you've traveled. Yeah, I traveled. Been uh, yeah, I, I went to. <clears throat> so I've been to France for one day and that entire day I spent at Disneyland Paris. I didn't see the Eiffel the Tower. authentic experience. Oh, yeah, yeah. I wanted to make sure I got as French as possible. Um, so you'd and, like to see like a European castle built by Americans in Paris. Yes, that's exactly what I was looking for. Uh so me and I think former guest of Do Go On at some point, Jackson Bailey, uh, one of my co-hosts on Plumbing the Death Star and other podcasts, uh, went to Disneyland and he would just walk up to people. Anytime we had to interact with someone, he'd just be like, uh, hello, or I would try and be like, oh, bonjour, etc." And they would just immediately launch into French with me. And I was like, <laughs> you can clearly tell I'm- Come on. Yeah. <laughs> so I'd, uh, every time I had to be like, oh. In English, please. <laughs> I'm I trying to be polite, but I, I actually don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, it was good. So, yeah, I wish instead they were like... Mm-mm-mm. So, have you learned yeah. how to say Splash Mountain in French? 
Uh, no, there was min- so we had the perfect day in Disneyland. Montblanc. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, where were you? Where were you? You'd have been the perfect guide. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it rained all day prior to us getting there, so there was no one there. We didn't have to talk to anyone really, except for when we're ordering food, and then it was always a disaster. <laughs> Le turkey leg. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, uh, oh, oh uh, my god. Hamburger. Uh, <laughs> Best word in French. Yeah. Boof. Yeah, I love boof. <laughs> That's where we got beef as well, I think, isn't it? I think uh, they brought uh, it over. Uh, boof. <laughs> boof. <laughs> boof. Um, all right, so they get they get the magnum of champagne. Big race for, and they have to pay uh, to for the privilege of entering as well. Where's that money going if not to the price? Yeah, I'm not sure because you got to, anyway. Yeah, it's getting sponsored. What? This laundry? Yeah, it does yeah. feel a bit like because you know the you're scale? probably paying for your own car as well. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> you pay for your petrol. <laughs> yeah, you pay for everything. You pay to enter. You pay it also to gets travel sponsored. Yeah. What are the funds going to? Oh, tracking them probably. Yeah. How? I don't, think, I don't know. <laughs> How? Was there someone else there that was like, I'm not in the race. I'm just driving alongside you so I could keep pay attention to who's. But winning the race, but I guess there's no not one's really cheating. I guess you can't cheat. What, how do you cheat in that instance? Mm. Cars, they don't know they can do that yet. Well, no, that I mean, you jump on a train. Jump on a train. Yeah. Uh, um, that almost feels like foreshadowing. Yeah, but then you get on the up the <clears throat> other side and you're like, "Fuck, I forgot the car." <laughs> yeah. This is gonna look really sus when I cross the finish line. You're miming it. Everyone's just like doing the hand, thing with the hands for wheels. They're like, and they all feel too silly to point it out. Emperor's yeah. new clothes stuff. <laughs> this is what cars look like in Paris or Beijing. I can't remember which way we're going. Uh, so there were no set rules and each team... Oh, okay. Well, then that's fine. Each uh, team had to organise oil, fuel and tyre supplies independently. Jesus. According to Je- Jeff Tibbles, writing in his book, <laughs> Motor Racing's Strangest Races. Tibbles is great. That's man. a great name. That's Sounds nice. like, is it a name of a... Of a, of a mouse in a movie or something? It should be. Yeah. Or like yeah. Tibble's cat not, food. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Tibbles wrote, <laughs> Although 25 teams would eventually consider taking part, many were scared away by the entry fee of 2,200 francs. Jesus. Which I, don't, I couldn't figure out. I could not figure out on Google how much he- that meant. As if it's enough to put off wealthy types. 2,500 francs? 2,200 francs 2200 in 1907. Francs. I just couldn't. I don't know why I couldn't figure that out, but... Um, so as the day drew nearer, the sheer enormity of the task also put off others. Uh, though I also read that 40 teams had entered and paid the fee. Uh, there seems to be a lot of contra- contradictory info on yep. on little details about this race. So just with the France conversion, I don't know if it's going to be important, but to help the listeners paint a picture, currently <clears throat> 2,200 francs is 2,283 US dollars. Right, even though the francs aren't but used anymore. Francs are used. Yeah, what are they like? Swiss is that Swiss francs? francs? Oh, wait. Swiss francs? Is that, is that Swiss C- francs. Is that CHF? Yeah. Okay, let's have a look. How much was a French franc worth in 1910? Close enough. So. We're nutting this out for the listeners. <laughs> uh oh. It's Proving written in your French. Google, your Google skills are better than mine. Um, over 12 grand. $12,427.42. It's pretty expensive to pay yeah. for that's the privilege so of... so much money. Yeah, that's just the rego fee. Then you got to pay for the car. you got to get to Beijing yeah. with your car yeah, and you your tyres and your oil. Also, <laughs> something that hasn't been considered by presumably the people entering this race is this drive is going to fuck your car up. Yeah. You're going to get to Paris or Beijing and your car is going to be pretty much totaled. Like, I wouldn't trust myself to drive to, like... I wouldn't drive my car currently 
from here to like North Queensland because I'm like, I don't know if, I don't know what damage that's going to do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And know. that's with roads and, yeah. and GPS. Will and it, GPS. Will it even make it? And this is when cars are more popular so that you will have a service station for your car every bit. Yeah, and my car is like 100 years newer than these cars. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Oh, but our cars aren't built to last. God damn it. There's a lot to consider. Yeah. I'm going to be thinking about this all episode. Would I have entered this race? Yeah, well, I'd love to hear yeah. your answer by the end yeah. of it. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so they reckon between 25 and 40 teams wanted to enter. Either way, uh, only five teams ended up getting their cars down to the starting line in Beijing in time. Five. Five cars. Okay. Five Whoa, teams, five cars. started in Beijing to they had to get their car to Beijing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. That means they're doing the drive pretty much twice. <laughs> well, you could you could ship it out there or you know take other transport. But yeah. are they from Europe mostly, or are they yes, American? They're okay. all from Europe. Yeah. So put car on boat. Do you reckon some people were intending to do the race and the boat just didn't show up? <laughs> yeah, they're like possible. at the docks, like oh, I'm here for my boat. They're like boat car car on boat. No, <laughs> that was it was. Originally planned to go the other way, yeah. but the weather um, meant that it w- getting to they would have got to Beijing in wet season, and uh. that's that half of the race there were a lot less roads, like built uh, roads. Yeah, that's so it would have been a nightmare. So they ended up switching around the other way. That's this already is so so like I mean I understand that I've got a lot of high like. Hindsight is powerful, and starting a giant race after you've just had to ship your car to a place that doesn't usually have cars and therefore won't have roads, and that's where you're starting the race, seems like a bad idea. <laughs> yeah. Well, but I guess you're less tired because it's the start, so maybe it is a good idea doing the hard bit yeah, first. Yeah, the hard bit yeah. first, yeah. Just, you'd imagine getting into to Europe with... I assume more roads. If you were saying that Beijing just had fewer roads down there, well, I don't. I think Beijing was okay. It was oh, sort yeah. of outside of. No, that makes more sense. Beijing. Yeah, the more rural areas. Yeah. Yeah. So it was really yeah the big middle part, you know, between going, major cities. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Going through Mongolia yeah. and, and uh, Siberia apparently is a lot of it, rough stuff. I can obviously imagine it, but it just seems so rude to drive through somewhere that doesn't have a road. Cars are so destructive. Imagine getting in the car and it's like, okay, so you pretty much go, like, you're aiming your compass, you're like, that way for 30 days. Yeah. <laughs> they uh, they didn't have roads, but uh, most places had uh, uh, train tracks, so they did a fair bit of driving on train tracks. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Get to in a bit. Chugga, chugga. Uh, so who were the five contestants? I'd love to know. According to Tibbles, the first one to respond was Count de Dion. A doyen of the French motor industry who replied in heroic terms, quote, it is my belief that if a motor car can get through, the Dion Bouton will get through. I take up this challenge here and now. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So uh, he he provided cars. He he didn't drive himself. So driving uh, two identical. Uh, He didn't drive. No, he didn't drive. <laughs> Very heroic stance for a man yeah. that's just buying two cars. Well, well so that, that, that were his cars. So he, he provided two two-cylinder De Dion Bouton cars. Mm. Uh, one driven by Georges Cormier. I'm having a real stab at. I'm yeah. just saying these like I think a French person might say. <laughs> I and think Victor you're Collignon. Um, so they were two French, French drivers. Then we add in a four-cylinder, 7.4-litre Itala car. Gee, there's a lot of litres. Was 
Shipeone Borghese. Uh, so this guy had the best car, oh, the, and the most powerful car, at least. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I'll give you his full name because it's a bloody beauty. Prince <laughs> Luigi Marcantonio Francesco Rodolfo Scipione Borghese. That <laughs> sounds like you're being so rude. <laughs> Borghese is in like the car. Yeah, is it modern day? Oh no, what? That's uh, a Borghese. Not a no, nah, not Bugatti. Bugatti, not a Bugatti. Uh, so, Borghese was an Italian aristocrat, industrialist, politician, explorer, and mountain climber from the prominent <laughs> Italian Borghese family. Prince Luigi's doing it all. <laughs> yeah. This family, the Borghese family, stretches back centuries. So, there's a bunch of notable people from it, including from the uh, 15 and 1600s, uh, Pope Paul V. I don't know if you're familiar with his okay, top five Pauls <laughs> Yeah, me. Yeah, yep. Yeah. Uh, and... The lineage stretches all the way to current day with Lorenzo Borghese, who was the titular Bachelor on the ninth season of American dating show The Bachelor. Whoa! Oh, wow. Yeah, so power, big, powerful family oh yeah. through the ages. Really They've never weakened. Like the modern day Pope, like our Pope, yeah. is The Bachelor. Is yeah. it, season isn't, nine. Yeah. Is Pope the Pope also? No, the Pope's not. The, oh, the, okay. the Pope from back then, way more powerful than current Pope, I reckon. Oh, I thought you meant the Italian Pope is different to the Australian Pope, and I was like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if there was an Australian Pope. Well, you reckon like Andrew Gaze or something? Yeah. Oh, oh Gaze. Oh. Pope Gaze the first. Oh, no, he'd be Pope Gaze the second, because Lin- his Lindsay. dad, Lindsay, would have <laughs> the first. done the first stint, no doubt. Uh, maybe the most interesting entrance, uh, entrant in the race was Dutchman Charles Goddard. Goddard. Uh, a former jockey and stunt motorcyclist. Oh. He was a smooth-talking type who found himself <laughs> without a car when his original manufacturer pulled their car from the race. So he was meant to. He had a car set up. He was ready to head down, and then they're like, "No, nah, we're actually we're not we're not get, we're gonna let you have a car." <laughs> if well. he, like, ended, if he enters on a horse, I'll be so <laughs> stoked. Oh my god! Well, I like the idea that he's a smooth talker. So he's talking his way into a car for sure. <laughs> you are correct. Yes. <laughs> Undeterred, he travelled to Amsterdam to speak to Jacobus Spiker, the head of Spiker Cars, convincing him to provide one of his four-cylinder automobiles and filled it up with spare parts, spare tires, and all that sort of stuff. Oh. Uh, he also convinced him to pay the entry fee, which Goddard <laughs> promised he would pay back, though seemingly he never had any intention of doing that. Uh, Goddard, as it turned out, was a bit of a grifter. He promptly <laughs> sold all the spare parts and used that money for his ticket to Beijing. So he, he didn't even have a way of getting there at this point. Oh, oh, okay. So I thought that he got to Beijing, realized he didn't have a car, then went back to Amsterdam, <laughs> then went back to Beijing with a car. No, no. He was, he was still in Europe, went to Amsterdam. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, but he didn't have, he got a car before having a way of getting to the start line, <laughs> but luckily he was able to, uh, but the, the spiker, the, uh, the guy whose car it was, yeah. he's like, obviously you'll need all this stuff for this hot, yeah, hectic like, journey. <laughs> obviously, no yeah. worries. I'll give you all the, all the spares you need Yeah, and he's because just you won't make like, it without it. I'm clever. <laughs> I figured out a loophole. Yeah. He's my favorite of the entrance so far. And I didn't think anyone was going to pip Prince Luigi, but <laughs> yeah. Goddard the smooth talker. According to Andrew Frankel, writing for Motorsport magazine, Goddard arrived in China on the 16th of May with the Spiker, but otherwise he was penniless. While the other competitors had spent considerable time and money organising the necessary en route infrastructure, 
and in particular the crucial petrol dumps. So they'd all figured out, you know, along the way how they're going to get petrol. He didn't have any money for that, let alone time to plan any of it. Uh, so he had no cash until he managed to prize 5,000 francs from the Dutch consular official in Peking, promising that non-existent letters of credit would soon arrive to meet the expense. This provided enough fuel for perhaps one-fifth of the 10,000-mile journey. <laughs> the rest he would have to beg, borrow, or if needed, spirit away from the other competitors. So he was just winging it. <laughs> he was just hoping he'll come across a hose and he'll have yeah. enough breath left in him yeah. <laughs> if, the no- if the moment comes down to it. Goddard is... Maybe my hero from this point <laughs> Jeez. Like at any point, he could have turned around and been like, oh, I won't do the race then. Got the car, could, and he sold all the spare parts. So it could have could've just have sold the car. <laughs> yeah. Take the money, leave. What's he going to do? Follow him back to wherever he lives? Was it? Yeah, I wonder what his plan was here. I well, don't think I he guess had we'll, one. We'll find out after he wins this race. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think he's, he's, he just loved... He just loved uh, the adrenaline rush. I guess stealing is also an adrenaline rush. He too. loves to yeah. grift. Yeah. yeah. He was born to grift. Feeling one <laughs> step ahead of anyone you've dealt with must feel great. <laughs> Going, being able to, like, so he hustles a car, hu- uses that car to then hustle a ticket to Beijing, then in Beijing hustles 5,000 francs. That's huge. That's massive. He's a genius. He's winning the hustle race. Yeah, he's at the very least. He's coming first already before the race has started. So that's the first four competitors. Finally, the fifth competitor was another Frenchman, Auguste Pons. Great name. In a one-cylinder three-wheel contour. <laughs> Not a car. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I'm like, is he in the Mr. Bean's enemy's car? Oh, he wishes. Is it yeah, one wheel in back or one wheel in front? Uh, one wheel in back. So it's like it's, a rudder. Yeah, it's kind of. It looks more like a, and it is basically a primitive motorbike. Yeah. The, the good news is you only have to replace three tires. <laughs> That's if, true. If you That's lose a tricycle. One. The He's good news saving. is that I don't think he probably needed to worry about that because I really, really struggling to think how a one-cylinder three-wheel car is going to fare <laughs> at any point in this race. Yeah. Does it start? Uh, it does start. <laughs> All right. That's, but, but that surprised me. It probably also stops. I imagine. <laughs> We, I mean, you're not confident, but he was. Uh, <laughs> prior to the race, Pons insisted that, quote, a flyweight three-wheeler was indeed the very car to take on a 6,000-mile journey across two continents. Mm. I love how everyone's got wildly, wildly different <laughs> ideas of how far it is. Say, you said 10,000 yeah. before. Yeah. Every, but if you only got three wheels, you don't have to travel as far. <laughs> yeah, but, uh, yeah, so I'll, I'll post photos on our social media, but, yeah, it, it really just looks like – so they're sort of – it almost looks like a – you know, there's a big seat in the front yep. and, and a motorbike at the back. So sort of a two-seater. Is he inside a, a vehicle? Like, is he No, got, it's not enclosed. He's open. Yeah. Okay. Oh, my God. Of, I'm kind of imagining it looks like a very old plane but with no wings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I should pull up a photo. Come around on this guy. I love it. Just go for it. <laughs> Pons. Maybe he wins and that's where Ponzi scheme comes from, even though it's not related. Ponzi, fun fact, first Ponzi scheme was done by a woman. It wasn't Ponzi. Whoa. It was a woman who lived in the same town. So. Women can do anything. <laughs> women can be scam artists too. So there's some photos of it there. That is absolutely a bike. It's <laughs> a bike! <laughs> oh, my God. That looks more like one of those lie-down bikes that people have to do the big flags on so they don't get hit by yeah. a car. Yeah, it's that, it's that mixed with like a rickshaw type sort of. Yeah, yeah. Sort of vehicle. It seems like a people mover, but like to the next town. Yeah, yeah, not to the next continent. No. 
According to Tibbles, it was a vehicle so small that it had no room for serious rations or bedding. Something of a handicap when planning to spend the next three months <laughs> travelling across the wilds of Mongolia and Siberia. The drivers didn't race alone, driving it with at least one other person in the vehicle, either a journalist, mechanic, or both. Uh, was in like there's three, or you're a journalist slash mechanic? <laughs> no, one of them. Highly qualified. <laughs> Uh, the race was set out along a telegraph line, meaning journalists were able to publish stories back in Europe as they went. Um, I, I'd love to know how telegraph poles work. What do you? You just go beep 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 beep. You yeah. Morse coding yeah. it or what? Or you can oh. plug in your phone to a, each pole. <laughs> I don't. Or is it? A, it's like email. You just yeah. Just, I don't know. Telegraph or telegram? Oh, I've written telegraph, but that's that's possibly wrong. Yeah. Yeah, Telegraph's also the Morse code type thing, isn't it? Telegraph is... you got someone on the other end sort of translating what you're saying? Beep, 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 beep. The yeah. three-wheeler is battling. Yeah, oh. <laughs> yeah it's Morse code. It's Morse code. Yeah. Oh, okay, great. Oh, fun. <laughs> so you're there for about three hours dictating your story. Yeah, just, <laughs> <laughs> hang on. No, <laughs> made a mistake. <laughs> hang on. <laughs> backspace, backspace. So uh, <laughs> The first message was probably just race going bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Send help. <laughs> we dying. <laughs> So Goddard and Cormier travelled with journalists. Colin Young and Pons drove with mechanics, while Borghese had both a journalist and a mechanic. Of course he did. Yeah. Uh, it seems like Borghese's mechanic, Ettore Guizardi, also was his chauffeur doing most of the driving. Um, <laughs> okay. So when, it's like, when I read that, I'm like, oh, man, this guy's in a race, but he's just kicking back. Yeah. Yeah. Look, the more <laughs> you the say sights. about Prince Luigi, the more I'm like, how much is he a mountain climber? Or did he <laughs> yeah. ride on a Sherpa? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> he was chauffeured up a mountain yeah. <laughs> by another human being. So, but while he did have the most powerful car and a driver, it was hardly a luxurious trip for Borghese. His car was open-topped and they drove through all sorts of conditions. Um, so quickly recapping, we have the Italian prince uh, Borghese in an Atala, the most powerful car in the race. Yep which is a 40-horsepower a four-cylinder. Mm. Uh, he was accompanied by journalist Luigi Bazzini and mechanic Ettore Guizardi. So there's two Luigis in that car. Hang on, have I said too many? Oh, you're right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he has every name, though. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't done. think of him not as a Luigi, fair. but yeah, that's true. He is also a Luigi. <laughs> two Luigis, one Prince car. Luigi and not a Prince Luigi. <laughs> then we have uh, the 15-horsepower four-cylinder Dutch Spiker, driven by the jockey and stunt motorcyclist Charles Goddard. That's that grifter. That's the grifter. Uh, and he was in there with Jean Dutali, one of Le Matter's chief journalists, so one of the... The journalist of the the sponsoring newspaper. The journalist that got in that, like, that journalist is like, this is going to be the best story easily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, he would have just heard, like, how the race started and been like, oh, I'm I'm with you for sure. Oh, yeah. Shot down. yeah. yeah. <laughs> we could starve to death out there, but it'll be worth the story. <laughs> then we had the two 10-horsepower, two-cylinder De Dion Bouton, uh, French cars driven by George Cormier with... Edgardo Longini as passenger, and the other one with Victor Collignon and Jean Bizac as a mechanic. And finally, the six-horsepower, one-cylinder cycle car Contour, <laughs> driven by Auguste Ponce with Oscar Foucault, Foucault? Foucault as mechanic. Every description of this triggers my brain to just think of wacky races. Oh, yes, loved it. Like, 
it just feels like a wacky races race. Um, sure, Dick Dastardly's not there too. <laughs> <Yeah>. Motley. <laughs> Uh, according to Tibbles, from Peking, the route was to take them northwest to Mongolia and Siberia, across the barren Gobi Desert, over the uncharted plains of Siberia and eastern Russia to Moscow, and then via more recognisable roads to Warsaw, Berlin and Paris. Even getting to Peking in the first place was an ordeal, Borghese <laughs> being obliged to cross Asia on a horse, camel and foot. So like you were saying before, knackered by the time you get there. And he travelled he traveled on a foot. Yeah, on a foot. Incredible. That big Monty Python. <laughs> <laughs> They're rare these days. Yeah. Mm. Uh, the race hit trouble before it even began. The Chinese <laughs> government was sceptical of the race. They thought it was a ruse to suss out local terrain to plan a future invasion. That's, fair to enough. be honest, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. So because of this, the Chinese authorities confiscated the contestants' passports. <laughs> <laughs> but, but not the cars. Not the cars. So that you can leave. Yeah, it was sort of strange. So I read somewhere that they were like, we want you to get these cars out of here as quick as possible. And they're like, we don't same. want you and your cars here. <laughs> yeah, we got some great same. news for you because yeah. we're going to try and leave as quick as possible. They, yeah, they were undeterred by losing their passports and they all decided to race anyway. Uh, Tibbles continues. Given the unpredictable nature of the route through China, the quintet of drivers agreed to stay in convoy until they reached Arkusk in Russia, after which the race could begin in earnest. It was an admirable notion, but one which founded almost immediately <laughs> when barely a quarter of a mile out of Peking, Collignon and Pons both succeeded in getting lost. <laughs> a quarter of a mile? A quarter, quarter of, of a, a mile. mile. Oh, my God. They live their life a quarter of a mile at a time, and they get lost after that. That's like you could almost see a quarter of a mile. Yeah, you can yeah. see a quarter of a mile. That is a visual distance. <laughs> How? <laughs> Bad directions. Yeah. You got to understand in 1907, very stupid. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Tibbles goes on. Goddard fared little better. Unable to read a map, he had only the vaguest idea of geography. His spike was decorated in vertical stripes of red, white, and blue, and along the body were painted the words Siberia, Russia, Germany. This was supposedly to inform passers-by of the route, but there, would, uh, there was also the suggestion that it served to remind Goddard which way to go. The hopelessly inadequate three-wheeler console <laughs> was struggling so badly on the uneven Chinese roads that Pons decided to retrace his steps and complete the first leg by train. The, so what? He could, he How was it allowed? <laughs> well, I don't think it was. <laughs> There's no rules, remember? That's oh, yeah. They the were very specific about how there were no rules for the car race. Uh, the other four pressed on, but took seven days to cover the initial 200 miles, or 322 kilometres. So very slow going. You can almost outwalk them. Yeah. That seems really slow, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I get the getting lost and then getting back on track and getting lost. And oh, well, what was the top speed of a car it? back then, though? Because like forty horsepower was the most powerful one, right? Yeah, I think I read that that most powerful one could go up to like ninety six k's per hour. Oh, okay, so that's still pretty. F I mean, that's fast. Yeah, but I guess you have to have a good flat. Road yeah, to be able to do that on. But even then, like if they're driving at like fifty kilometers an hour, yeah, that's, that's a lot quicker than walking. walking. You'd yeah. think, but the statistics you've given us, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, fifty kilometers an hour, and they were covering what under four hundred a day, uh, in seven days. Yeah, so it should uh, that should have been a day, right? <laughs> that should have been a day. It took them a week, <laughs> so three months. 
Yeah. They, yeah, <laughs> they set out to prove that with a car they could go anywhere, but really they just proved that <laughs> you without can just a go car anywhere. they could go anywhere. <laughs> As a result of the rough condition on road surfaces, the cars were not able to run unaided until the Mongolian plateau had been reached. So there were rough roads and they needed to have their cars dragged by mules over ancient bridges. <laughs> oh, my God. Through gorges and over mountains heading towards the Great Wall. And the local people just like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> this is the future? A <laughs> car being dragged by a mule is the funniest thing I up think I've ever... Up a mountain. <laughs> a car being dragged by a mule up a mountain. That's <laughs> so annoying to anyone who lives there. Like, ah, you, I must abscond your mule. What? <laughs> to, to prove that cars can go <laughs> anywhere. Cars can go anywhere. <laughs> they don't have dragged. to work anywhere. There were technically no rules. Um... <laughs> According to Marina Man- Manukian, writing for Grunge, throughout the 1907 Beijing to Paris race, local people and their animals ended up being frequently enlisted to help push or tow the cars <laughs> along the driver's journey. <laughs> they found boulders and stones often blocking them, meaning, the, meaning they had to use a pickaxe to smash a path. Uh, when the cars were working their way through the Gobi Desert, so they slowly but surely were yeah. making their way, they the Gobi Desert proved uh, to be even trickier. Yeah. Oh, you reckon? Yeah. <laughs> That's shocking. Uh, How do old cars go on sand? Yeah, I'm I'm just thinking about the sand. Especially with the little narrow the wheels. wheels yeah. yeah. Uh, Pons in his three-wheeler Contol had gotten lost again. <laughs> falling on a well train. Behind, well behind the others. His, his car is literally a point. Yeah. Oh, no, it's the other way, isn't it? There's a wheel at the back. Yeah, one it? wheel at the back, oh, two at the front. Never mind then. Points at the back. Yeah, yeah. yeah you think it just like driving into the sand? Oh, I was <laughs> thinking more like it is a point. You, how do you stray from your course? <laughs> right. You just follow a compass, right? Yeah. <sighs> That's all right. That's all right. And, how, do you, and how do you fare in there? They're also meant to be following each other. And the and the the telegraph uh, the telegraph poles. poles. I don't fully get it. I guess there's some areas they can't ride right, right next to them, so they have to detour off and then lose Yeah. Them. I'm thinking that every single time they get back together and they're all on the same path, someone's like, <laughs> I know a shortcut, immediately gets <laughs> yeah. lost. And then it's just like everyone scatters for a bit, makes no distance, then comes back together. The same thing just keeps happening for seven days. I think if there was a bit of that. Um, yeah, so Pons got lost again. It was <laughs> He fell well behind the others. Uh, and was massively underprepared for the journey anyway, was relying on the help of the other four teams. Uh, to this point, the other drivers, in particular Goddard, had helped Pons out with fuel and carrying his supplies. It's amazing seeing as Goddard, Goddard didn't have enough nothing. fuel himself. <laughs> but he, Goddard carried a lot of his supplies in his car. Apparently Goddard, even though he was a grifter, had a real uh, collegiate sort of teamwork vibe about him. Uh, That's never- he grifted... <laughs> Well, he forged a sense of community. Yeah, that's right. Well, I guess that's like, I guess a key part of being a grifter, being a trustworthy guy, being like, Goddard wouldn't fuck me. He gave me some fuel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Goddard would fuck you. Goddard has fucked you. <laughs> <laughs> if you're wondering if Goddard's fucked you, he's fucked It's you. too late. Yeah. Uh, so there in the Gobi Desert, the three-wheeler Contol run out of fuel and supplies. Too far behind the other teams. Apparently Goddard had been, you know, making sure the three wheeler was still going okay. Yeah. But then the other, the two French guys in the, uh, in, the two Luigi's. in the identical cars, <laughs> they they said, no, no, he's fine. Yeah. Apparently, so he moved Goddard on. Goddard was like, oh, okay. Yeah. And uh, 
Pons in the in the three wheeler was stranded in the desert <laughs> without fuel, and he had no food or anything. I Uh-oh. am wondering if this is where the first count of death comes in. Uh, well, let's see. Um, so to survive, okay, uh, that's a good start. All right, to survive, they had to drink water out of the radiator. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. Well, I'll just be glad that radiator fuel hadn't been invented then. Or radiator <laughs> coolant. Yeah. Coolant, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, according to Manukian, they walked 20 miles out from their vehicle and 20 miles back, finding no water, food, or people. Pons later tried to dig his car out, believing he could still somehow make it to Paris. It was in trying to dig... just drained the radiator. <laughs> it was in trying to dig and push out the car that the two of them collapsed. It was only by sheer stroke of luck that a group of nomadic people passed by before the end of the day. Upon coming across the two unconscious men, they took them back to their camp and nursed them back to health. Oh. The contol was left in the desert where it's believed to still remain. <laughs> Let's find it. <laughs> Do go on Patreons. I'll meet you there. Let's go. We're yeah. doing the Gobi Desert. We're finding this car. Yeah, we're digging it out. I reckon it can still get to Paris. We just All we need <laughs> just needs- is coolant. Yeah. yeah. Coolant, and we've got Google Maps now. We'll be exactly. fine. So they, so they survived. Hey, that's, they're out of the race, but uh, only because they were saved <laughs> by pure luck. <laughs> they would amazing. never have woken up. It sounds like a. Oh life. yeah, this is sounding pretty. Oh. You would have found their skeletons. Well, well yeah. maybe not because the car's still yeah, out there. True. No one found their skeletons. I guess the report would be different then. It would just like, and then yeah, the the Ponzi car fell behind, and then no one knows. <laughs> no one knows what happened. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, they could still be out there. Yeah, they could be racing still. Well, that journalist has got a sweet article to write, though. <laughs> that's true. Well, yeah, that's the other thing. If if we wouldn't have known any of that stuff if they weren't found. Yeah. Luckily, um, yeah, the story was able to be told. Uh, back to Tibbles. The abysmal lack of preparation by the Contol team was in stark contrast to Borghese's crew. In advance, they had sent camel caravans out into the desert to lay down supplies of fuel, tires, and provisions at strategic points. That's huge. That's like the first pit stops. Yeah, that's right. (laughs) They did it. The extra power of the Atala gave it a considerable advantage in terms of speed, but its weight proved a handicap when crossing Mongolian marshland. At one point, the car suddenly sank in a bog, uh, and they would have been in big trouble, but by a stroke of good fortune, a team of <laughs> Mongolian horsemen appeared no on the scene. <laughs> there's, so, there's so much luck involved in this race. Oh, gosh. They wedged planks under the wheels and got their oxen to pull, but this had no effect until someone had the bright idea of starting the engine. Oh, my God. Borghese's journalist Barzini <laughs> recalled, at the, sudden, at the sudden noise, the four terrified beasts pulled desperately. Oh. <laughs> and suddenly the car came out of its furrow with one bound. So, yeah, it was, wasn't even just the engine. It was the noise. Yeah, it the was noise. scaring the ox. Literal yeah. horsepower. Before that, yeah. the ox were like, I can't be fucked. <laughs> <laughs> Holy <laughs> shit. <laughs> Run, yeah. fellas, let's, let's get out of here. Let's just make it look like we're pulling. Let's <laughs> leave Activate these. the adrenaline in the ox. <laughs> Uh, after this, Borghese's crew carefully checked any sus terrain before driving over it. Learning. Yeah. <laughs> That's one thing that pretty much every other racer in this race has lacked. Yep. Uh, Learning and common sense. That's right. Yeah, totally. 
Uh, when they reached the River Iro, which I tried to, I couldn't find it on in Google Maps or anything. There's a few places I'm like, they must have changed their names in the last hundred years. Right. Uh, they again needed the help of oxen to drag the car through the waist high water. I think there's photos of this as well. <laughs> Of oxen dr- uh, dragging Borghese's open-top car through the river. Uh, and so it's it was waist-high with an open top. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. So it wasn't even floating? No. Nah. <laughs> I'm uh, so glad no, they I figured out so. cars. Cars were done. <laughs> now that they float, yeah. <laughs> so much better. <laughs> uh, when Borghese reached the Russian border, they were a day ahead of the rest of the field. So they, there was this agreement that they'd all stick together, but... For whatever reason, Borghese had just oh, lost them yeah. in my rearview mirror. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he recalled later that our faces are literally black with dust and our, and over our clothes a thick crust of the different kinds of mud with which we had come in intimate contact all along the way. So they were the open top. They were just, <laughs> they were wearing, you know, when your car is <laughs> driven through through, uh, you know, a river and through a dusty area and it's yeah. just caked in mud. Yeah. That was Borghese. <laughs> <laughs> uh, back in the Gobi Desert, the Dutchman Goddard and his journalist companion, Jean de Tally, had their own troubles. Oh, no. Also oh, no, getting stranded you. without fuel, which was surprising seeing yeah. as they did not have enough fuel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm surprised it took that long. Yeah. And especially because they were giving fuel to the Ponzi team. Hmm. Mm. Are they are they more than a fifth of the way in? Uh yeah, the Gobi. Yeah, I would say say so. So they've done pretty That's well. Actually, really impressive. I, yeah, I think they've been they've grifted a fuel bit of out of thin air. <laughs> exactly. Maybe every time they were giving Ponzi fuel, they were still siphoning it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is brought to you by Squarespace, the all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. Whether it's your first ever website or your business is expanding, Squarespace makes it easy to create a beautiful website and engage with your audience. Upload video content, organize your video library and showcase your content on beautiful video pages. You can even sell access to your video library by adding a paywall to your content. (laughs) Cha-ching! You can help with written content on your website with Squarespace AI, which I used to write this next sentence, so check this out. Generate instant, personalised results that know and show your brand identity. Explain what your site is about, choose your tone, and enter what you need to get short or long-form text. Squarespace AI, Squarespace AI makes it easier to go live, stand out, and succeed online. Oh, Dave, if only it could also not just write it, but read it too. <laughs> And edit it. <laughs> hey, sell exclusive content on your site by adding a paywall to sell memberships or courses. Or sell files your customers can download like PDFs, music or ebooks. Man, it's starting to sound like I'm obsessed with money. <laughs> <laughs> and you are. So head to squarespace.com slash do go on for a free trial and to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Um, Goddard had tried to uphold his end of the bargain of driving in a convoy until Russia. 
and for the most part had been sticking with Cormier and Collignon in the De Dion cars. He had also done his best to keep Pons and his three-wheeler going until they lost contact. As Cormier and Collignon drove on from the stranded Goddard, they, com- uh, they promised to send fuel back from Oud, uh, the next town along, which was 120 miles away. They're like, they gave him a little bit of fuel to yep. get him going for mm. a little bit, but they're like, you'll run out soon, but we'll, from the next town, we'll send a few camels back with fuel. Uh, according to Frankel, Goddard and Dutalis, or Dutali had two litres of water, a few blocks of concentrated soup, which could not be heated without petrol to start the stove. <laughs> a cold, maggot-infested and stinking chicken. I don't know why they kept that. <laughs> oh. And some chocolate uh, liquid and similarly inedible in the 47-degree Celsius heat. So it's fucking hot. <laughs> why do they need to reheat the soup then? Yeah, surely just leave it out in the sun. Yeah. But it's concent- concentrate blocks of concentrated soup. Oh, yeah. so like you dissolve a bit in hot in water. water. Okay, yeah. that would make sense as to why you can't You've only got it. two liters of water. of concentrated soup makes me feel like that's a fancy way of just calling it like chicken stock. I reckon that's probably what it's going to end up <laughs> yeah. being. Mm. Just did a quick, uh, ch- so that's for the Fahrenheit uh, people out there. That's 116 degrees. Yeah. Pretty hot. Pretty hot. Uh, the fuel, though ordered, never arrived. They sat for two days in the desert. <gasps> They had drunk all the water in the radiator. No. Um, and Jean de Tally had become too weak with both dysentery and malaria to move. Jesus. Oh, dear. Uh, oh, one of those is too much. Yeah. So that's his journalist. He's just become a, a liability, basically. <laughs> Goddard, however, probably keeping his head high. Oh, yeah, he's fine. He's just looking for the next grift. <laughs> uh, Goddard realized that if they were to survive, he would have to leave his friend and walk off into the desert to find help. He came back within two hours leading an army of locals. <laughs> <laughs> yes, God. Yeah, of course he did. He can't even speak their language any smooth talking. Yeah. <laughs> Being a charismatic, smooth talking type, Goddard talked them into riding into Oud uh, to bring back fuel. Once refueled, he drove 23 hours nonstop to catch the two de Dion's, who were 385 miles away. He what? just went on a hectic drive. Well, is, is the journalist spite. still like shitting himself in the back seat? <laughs> Put him in the boot. <laughs> Give him a bucket. God, I'm still in this race. Yeah, he's fine. <laughs> he's fine. This is a romp. I'm having a romp. <laughs> uh, back to the prince, Borghese. It's just quickly with Goddard. It's crazy they both almost died and then... Immediately <laughs> after that, he goes into a town, convinces everyone to come back and help, then drives for 23 hours without stopping. Yeah, if you It wasn't even a town. Remember when oh, yeah. Pons couldn't find anyone walking 20 miles, but Goddard just somehow stumbled upon a, a group of people out in, the, out in the middle of nowhere. You know how, like, the further you go back in time, uh, it still happens a bit now, but the further you go back in time, when people have excessive privilege and wealth... The general belief is that it's because God picked him. Right. They <laughs> Maybe. Must be feeling. Like, yeah, like you this how do you get out of this race and be like, well, thank God I'm God's favorite. Like, yeah. thank God I got all this nice stuff in the world. That's it, so lucky. Yeah, you must That's you must crazy. Be, yeah, of course. How does it happen that many times in a row? <laughs> Every single race car in this race has had some kind of like insane good luck. Even like <clears throat> at this point, even though like one of the drivers almost died but then like pulled out of the race and the car was lost forever or whatever 
the luck of being found whilst unconscious yes. is already crazy. And, and people giving a shit. Yeah. You know, not just going, oh, they're dead. They're yeah. strangers. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Like to go up and check, 1907, see a body in the desert. Not my business. Maybe you just assume they're dead because, like, I don't know, you've got stuff to do. You're busy. You're a nomad. You're moving. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. All of these people have been so lucky. And it's all because of locals through the different areas yeah. they passed through have, have lent them their animals and their help <clears throat> or their, you know, just yeah. food and, every, you know, amazing. It's good stuff. Except Goddard. He earned everything so he did. He worked he, hard yeah. for it. He got everything he deserved. Gift he, of the silver tongue, baby. What a guy. He had a vision board. Yeah. And it had all, all those things on it. Yeah, one of them is not dying in the desert. <laughs> uh, so let's go back to uh, Principal Gacy. Yeah, so he's, he's well ahead. Yeah, he's yeah, a day ahead when we left him. And yeah, he's, uh, he's only pulling away. Yeah. So... Um, he, he has a commanding lead. According to Tibbles, the 6,000-mile journey across Siberia and Russia was distinctly uncomfortable for Borghese and his men, travelling in an open car in what was often torrential rain. To make matters worse... <laughs> follow- Just get a roof, mate! <laughs> You're a prince! <laughs> I think there's some photos with, like, a tarp over the top, but <laughs> really... I don't think that's doing the job. <laughs> Absolutely it's not. So funny because like cars had like the other cars have roofs, don't they? Uh, I, I, I. I thought two or four had roofs. Yeah, I think maybe they did. Half yeah. of the car. It just like so the, the three wheel drive didn't, no, and didn't. the yeah the Bugazi car doesn't have one. But then like, if you're thinking I'm traveling for three months, surely like having my head protected, <laughs> probably smart. That's not how cars were back then. You wouldn't even think of it. Mm. You're lucky. God picked you. <laughs> All, and what he's wearing, he's wearing this, you know, those old pointy style safari hats? Oh, yeah. He's, the prince is wearing that the whole way around as well. Right. He's like, that'll protect me from the torrential yeah, Siberian rain. It'll, it'll keep the sun off your head, that's for sure. Uh, back to Tibbles. To make matters worse, following the construction of the Trans-Siberian Railway, much of the Siberian highway system was in a state of chronic disrepair, <laughs> deteriorating into a series of bumpy tracks and treacherous bogs. At Lake Baikal... I've done a few of those in my time. <laughs> <laughs> treacherous bogs. <laughs> uh, at Lake Baikal, the road and bridges were impassable, so Borghese obtained permission to drive on the railway track. When forced to make a hasty detour by road because of an approaching train... <laughs> The Atala fell foul of a rickety wooden bridge which collapsed under the car's weight, almost crushing Borghese and his two-man what? crew. But he can hold a train, but it can't hold a car? No, he had to detour off and go on this little rickety... Oh. <laughs> um, and so, and what, was, what was the outcome? Uh, he, the car <laughs> fell and... Uh, everyone was fine. Everyone was basically <laughs> fine. Yeah, there we go. And the car could still go? Yes. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. They lifted it back up, dragged <laughs> it back up. They lifted the... Okay. Yeah. How did they lift the car off a broken bridge? Probably with a, you know, a, Mule. a local mule. Yeah. Yeah. A, a team of locals. <laughs> Nomads they found. No, it was actually um, winched to safety from the ravine by a gang of Siberian railway workers. Oh, shush. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've always depended on the kindness of strangers. <laughs> And uh, returned back to the railway track, only to endure another near miss seconds later <laughs> when surprised by a freight train. <laughs> That's so, like, they're railway workers. They're like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll put you back, back on here. the track. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good luck. Oh, shit. <laughs> 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 they forgot about it. <laughs> 
later, when they were passing through the Ural Mountains, one of their wheels collapsed. Uh, the wooden spokes having been weakened by all the muddy roads and river crossings. Luckily, they found a local wagon builder, <laughs> the only one for hundreds of miles, uh-huh, yeah. who was able to make a replacement. Just otherwise, they would have been fucked. But they it just happened, fine, to, it yeah. ha- it happened near the only guy anywhere <laughs> around who could uh-huh. fix the problem. Incredible. Uh-huh. Also, uh, wooden spokes for this journey. Also bold move. Yeah. The only move, it well, sounds like. Yeah, all moves are bold here. <laughs> uh, so by now, though, they are weeks ahead of the rest of the field. Oof. They're flying. Um, but let's go back and find out why the others... Apart from having a more powerful car, the other uh, races, especially our man Goddard, hit hit trouble again. Oh, no! Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Come on, Goddard. Remember it's that just so we can get back up again. He did that long drive, 23-hour yeah, drive, hours. caught up with yeah. him. Well, soon after he did, his car started struggling again. The rear axle was hit by a stone and had an oil leak. And, and sort of thinking on his feet, he repaired it by stuffing raw bacon into the hole. Well, Greasy. It would have become cooked he bacon pretty is. quickly. <laughs> A genius, yeah. Mm. Tactical genius. He put he stuffed the bacon in the hole and ate that maggot infested chicken. <laughs> <laughs> uh he could have desperately used some of the spare parts that he had sold back in Europe, yeah. it's fair to say. But, but then he then wouldn't if, have been he there. He wouldn't have even made it to the yeah. start. And so. to be honest, I'd be thinking, I wish I wasn't here. <laughs> yeah. That would be great. <laughs> well now the journalist's going with the dysentery and <laughs> That's not Malaria. much mentioned about it. It's like, you know. Yeah, probably got better or died and we don't talk about it. Yeah. Well, he, he we're did, hearing got over about it, which means yeah. journalism happened. Oh, that's true, actually. Exactly. You're clever. I am. Mm. So by now they uh, they were struggling through the harsh Russian terrain. Yep. In part with the help of horses, I think partly wild horses, which I don't know what <laughs> oh. that means. Oh, my God. Semi-wild horses. He was able to grift a horse? <laughs> he, he charmed a, a horse. wild horse. <laughs> Smooth talking a horse. Yeah. You're there. You're there. Come on. And the horse car. like. <laughs> 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 my God. The most attractive human I've ever seen. Uh, but eventually his car conked out once more Ugh. and he was stranded yet again. But he was still there with the De Dion cars. And according to Frankel, Frankel the De Dion's carried on while Goddard telegraphed Spiker to request a mechanic be sent across Siberia with all the necessary spares. I don't know how he's already gone through all those spares. <laughs> uh, too long of a story. Don't ask yeah, me. Yeah. Spiker, you, you fucked me. The spares, they didn't last. I need <laughs> yeah. more spares. Yeah, I am I'll, now I'll, your problem. I'll again. sit here for four weeks waiting for someone to arrive. <laughs> was the plan to catch up? Was he like, I did 23, I can do 46? Yeah. That's, that's, that was his hope. But, you know, each time he had to do it, it was a little more <laughs> a little unrealistic. More, little more. Yeah. The car was a little more fucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've got I've stuffed bacon in. What else is going to yeah. do? Uh, Spiker dispatched a 20-year-old office boy, Bruno Stefan. Shouts this to is, Bruno Stefan. This is the mechanic he sent out, an yep. office boy. Yeah. <laughs> you there, office boy. <laughs> well, we can't send You're going to Siberia. <laughs> yeah. So he sent him from, and, but he was, he, he had mechanical knowledge. Yep. He sent him from Amsterdam with the equipment while Goddard put the inert Spiker on a train and travelled west to meet him, dropping off Dutali, the journalist, who's shitting himself, <laughs> en route to be collected by the De Dion's. As Dutali was a journalist from La Mata, the sponsor of the race, his editor wanted him to stay with the bulk of the car. Oh, my God. Uh. This poor man. Uh, yeah, so he, he would have been happy, to, I think, to stick with. I'd like to go home to my family <laughs> after the dysentery and malaria. 
No. Yeah, we'll put you in a, another car, though, I reckon. Yeah. Go with the winners. Um, the Didion team, shocked that Goddard would cheat so blatantly as to put his spiker on a train, telegraphed the officers of Lemata to demand Goddard's disqualification. Whoa. There's no rules here, baby. Yeah, there's no real rules. And cheating, however, um, according to Frankel, couldn't have been further from our man Goddard's mind. Oh, nothing he does counts as cheating because he gets away with it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Well, I don't but, think he's ever been accused of cheating in his life. Like, what are you talking? How dare you? How dare you? Um, but he he really wasn't trying to cheat in this uh, instance. He because he went, he was on the train, he got the ignition repaired, but he wasn't able to wait for Stefan, who'd become delayed by bureaucracy in Moscow. So he's like, <laughs> I can't, I can't wait any longer. So he climbed back on the train. Heading east fifteen hundred miles back to the same place where the spiker had conked out, so he he didn't get any advantage. He took yeah. the car to get <clears throat> got the ignition fixed, came back, took ages, and then yeah. started from that spot. Started like, from that spot. So it was the twenty fifth of of July, nineteen days after the De Dion's had left the same spot, and the same day that four thousand miles away in Moscow, Stefan finally boarded the Trans Siberian Express. So he he's back in the same space place where he. He uh, conked out. Yep. He hasn't mm-hmm. got any advantage. No. Okay. But he is now 19 days behind. Yeah, 19 days behind, but his car turns on. Those now. twins. Those yeah. dastardly <laughs> twins. They, he keeps trusting them and they keep fucking him every time. So he, he's now wanting to catch up with Stefan. And it took him five days of driving solo in 20-hour stints with four-hour sleep breaks for him to catch up with Stefan. Uh, Stefan serviced the spiker, fitted uh, the new gear ratios, better suited to the terrain. Yep. Uh-huh. Uh, but it, uh, Stefan was unable to drive, I think, maybe because he was 20. <laughs> uh, he was he jumped in the passenger seat. So now that he's, he's got a... Okay, he's, so he's got, got someone a to Yeah, he's got a co-pilot again. Yeah. So he caught up to someone that was previously 5,000 miles away in five days. Yeah, 4,000 miles away in five days. Oh, he also jumped on a train. But that's still insane. Yeah. And how do they know where to meet each other? I know, yeah. Even with phones, sometimes it gets confusing where to meet someone. Yeah, for sure. I'm near the McDonald's and the 7-Eleven. Which side? Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm on the corner of the street. Which way are you facing? Why would I know? <laughs> it's a square. <laughs> Towards a grey building? <laughs> where our boy Goddard is just like, yeah, I'll just drive five days, 20 hours a day. Meet you there. Action, meet I'll you there. You. Meet you in the middle. Yeah, All right. Saw you out. But he's still way behind yeah. uh, the, the twins. So they're 19 days ahead. Oh, no, now they're 24 days ahead. Well, yeah, because he's he's also had to stop to... He had the car service, but, yeah. you know, he's not stopping for ages. He's not mm. dropping into five-star <laughs> hotels or anything like nah, that. No, no silly business. Um, fuel stops aside, it would be 29 hours before the spiker stopped again. Goddard was drawing on every scrap of his mental and physical resources to close the gap to the De Dion's, and nothing could stop him. <laughs> A broken spring was patched up with wooden blocks. At another point, a newborn baby flung from a riderless wagon was collected and delivered to a local priest. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not stopping for nothing. All right, maybe a baby. (laughs) Flung? Flung from a wagon? I'm just glad he didn't use the baby to plug a hole. That's what I thought that was (laughs) going This is this is still according to Frankel. So he saved a baby's life. Yeah, saved a baby's life on the way. I'm so glad what? I got on Goddard at the start of this without knowing anything about him. 
What a guy. He's, he's, this is. I think we could all afford to be a bit more Goddard. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Uh, Frankel continues, Goddard drove ceaseless, ceaselessly day and night, night and day, and when the headlight, headlamps gave out, Goddard made Stefan walk out in front of the spiker at night with a white towel tied to his back. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry, but he could... So you're only travelling at walking pace. Yeah, then. just following, at walking following pace, the boy. Following a boy The office who, boy. The office <laughs> boy. <laughs> so the, like, the boy can see nothing ahead of him. No, the, but... Well... So the... I mean... But if the boy runs into a wall, you stop. He's doing it a lot <laughs> slower, I guess, yeah. Yeah, so it's just like... Hands out in front of him, being like, I hope I don't hit a rock or a... A car can, you know, avoid a bug that's going to bite you. That's true. Yeah, we didn't think about Stefan getting bitten by bugs whilst being Mm. the torch. Well, the last boy got malaria. (laughs) That's true. The last boy did get malaria and dysentery. But he got that while he was riding in the car. So maybe he's safer. (laughs) In this story, Cass... You can only assume that that passenger seat was absolutely (laughs) full of muck. Oh, my God. Maybe best spot to be out the front. It's amazing they still had a towel that was white. (laughs) (laughs) With that much dysentery and malaria, yeah, it's shocking that the car is just not just making everyone sick, just solely from covered in shit. Do you you reckon perhaps Goddard is some sort of... Maniac? No, like maybe he sucks luck out of other people. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He sucks luck out of people, makes it his own? Yeah. Well... he, He feeds on other people's good fortune. I love him, and if that ends up being true, Is, if does this the boy <laughs> die, does the boy die? No, but oh, Uh-oh. by the end of this marathon, this this long, ceaseless day night day night drive, Stefan was so sick with utter exhaustion and dysentery <laughs> that Goddard telegraphed Spiker and told him he did not expect him to make the end of the race. <gasps> Just letting you know, the boy, yeah. your office, you might need to get another office boy. <laughs> So it wasn't even come get him. It was like, oh, he's he's, he's gone. He's, done. he's on the way. He's out, still I walking out the front. Like. <laughs> <laughs> he's got to start feeding his companions that rotting chicken. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's so, like it's so funny. Like, is Goddard okay, or does he also have dysentery at this point? Yeah, he must. Is it is, what is dysentery? Is it a contagious kind of thing? Yeah. So I thought it was think, a bacterial thing. Oh. Don't you get it from like uh, contaminated water and things like that? Yeah, which yeah. means that if everyone that he's traveling with is getting it, chances are he's exposed to whatever. Yeah, he's giving for sure. It to especially them. sharing water bottles, at yeah. the sharing radiators. Yeah, <laughs> we we sucked water you out of the same radiator. radiator yeah. <laughs> Should get tested. Uh, in Kazan, in southwest Russia, the spiker caught the Dedeons, which had enjoyed an untroubled run. Oh my god! So they them. were just cruising along, and he's caught them up. <laughs> By just driving, like, a wild amount. It would be so funny from their point of view just to have been just having a cruisy drive and then all of a sudden, like, just a wild maniac <laughs> man and his very sick... Sickest boy. <laughs> and they're like, nearly dead boy. And they've never up. met that boy either. They're like, where's he going to get that boy? Where'd you get the boy? <laughs> Who's that boy? He's unwell. What happened to your other guy? I traded him for a boy. Because <laughs> no, the other guy's with them now, yeah, isn't they've it? Yeah, they've got the other guy. Yeah, yeah. That's right. The other guy's like, oh, so I'm, I'm replaceable? Yeah, You're going to give another like- boy dysentery? <laughs> uh, so they've they've caught up. The, so the, the main packers all caught up again. Um, Goddard entered Kazan at four o'clock in the morning of the 8th of August having covered in 14 days the same distance the De Dion's had managed in over a month. Jesus, Jesus Christ! Christ. <laughs> <laughs> 
Goddard's last 24-hour stint saw more land travel under the wheels of the Spiker than the De Dion's had seen in the previous four days. <laughs> he had travelled three and a half thousand miles, not one inch of it on anything recognisable as road. <laughs> as you're forgetting that this whole time has been on like dirt tracks and... This is unbelievable. Yeah. Wild. But yes. I do believe it, Goddard. So yeah. I do believe it because our boy... By this stage, our man, the Prince Borghese, was still weeks and weeks ahead yeah. of the chasing pack, and he was nearing the finishing line. Um, he was so far ahead that the Ital went on a lengthy detour from Moscow to attend a party in their honour <laughs> in St. Petersburg. <laughs> oh, this That's is confidence. rabbit in the hairstyle hubris. Yeah. He's taken a nap. He's went, taken a nap at the last leg. On, uh, I checked it on Google Maps. It's around... Eight hours each way today, which are what I imagine are real roads. <laughs> oh so it would have been like a Wouldn't day. Wouldn't you just basically. want to so confident. I just want to get to the finish line. Well, yeah. I guess at this point, it's he's so confident. It. I guess, would he somehow be getting information how far behind everyone else is? Yeah, I guess if they're all contacting. And they're on the telegraph the, pole, yeah. Yeah. Then uh, I guess he'd be like, whatever, I've already won, so might as well take it at my own pace and make it more enjoyable. But wouldn't you also be like, why can't they have a party for me in Moscow? Yeah, I'd say party in Moscow. How about a party at the finish line in Paris? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but wee do you wee. know what? I, there have been situations in my life where I would have driven eight hours for a shower. Yeah, okay. I, yeah. I hear that. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Probably it was like, oh, decent food. Like, why not? If, yeah. if you find out that it took them a month to travel a certain amount of distance that you've already cleared, you're like, well, they're not catching up to me. Yeah, that's yeah. True. You don't know the god art of it all. And apparently it was a feast. Yeah. And probably a bed. Yeah. Old school food. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And, and they were in. caked in, yeah. in dirt and everything. Probably so. even a shower. Oh, imagine that. Mm. <laughs> they could probably even wash their car. When were showers invented, Dave? I don't know why I'm asking you that. I'll have to Google that. I <laughs> would, I mean... They went 19, surely. Yeah, 1907 is pretty close to World War One, and they I'm pretty sure they had showers. Then. They went washing in 1967. Yeah. Okay, so we're all good for a shower. Yeah, so uh, as I said, I'd drive eight hours for a shower. <laughs> I have no idea about in things. Oh, no, I get it things. too. Yeah. Um, history is a mystery to me. <laughs> I absolutely adore that you were thinking cars, and you're like, have we nutted out the shower yet? <laughs> yeah. I didn't know. We got a car. Do you reckon we figured it out? <laughs> Yeah, um, but that's a fair call. <laughs> Cars probably came <laughs> after shells. Um, so in the end, it took Borghese's Itala two months to the day to reach Paris. You think about all these times we've been talking about the others. Yeah. The whole trip for <laughs> Borghese was two months. Including, oh my the, God. including detour a for detour. A party. Yeah. Uh, his travelling companion, journalist Luigi Bazzini, said, I cannot convince myself that we have come to the end. That we have finally arrived. <laughs> like, just like, yeah, I real. I can't believe it. It was such a struggle for us, the two Luigi's. <laughs> but can you imagine being the journalist and the, this prince is like, "Yeah, let's go to this party," and he's like, "Oh my fucking god, we are so We're close, so close to home." <laughs> uh, arriving in Paris, Borghese was hailed as a hero. It was it was big news. This race, yeah, it makes sense. Uh, interviewed by reporters, Borghese said. Quite modestly, every day when we awoke, we concentrated on nothing but getting the day's stage done well. Such a journey requires more patience than daring. He's like, <laughs> I don't know about that. His speak speeches to, are insane. Speak to the other guys, I reckon. Yeah. 
I think, well, maybe they should have been concentrating on doing one day stage well as well. <laughs> yeah, it, that's true. It does also sound like he probably had the superior car, which yeah. is oh, maybe yeah. the main and, advantage. And a chauffeur. And a, and an extra, <laughs> there was three of them. So. Yeah, yeah, there was three of them. They had the better car, and he also brought heaps of spare parts, knowing for well, and yeah, the had camel the Thor side to the and, camels yeah. field. Yeah. So he, he, was, he basically won because he just thought about it enough. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, I wonder if that was a wealth thing or if that was a forethought thing. Because uh, yeah. Goddard doesn't... people thinking for him. Yeah, Goddard doesn't think ahead. He's just very good at thinking at the now. Yeah, yeah. seat of the pants kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah, you wonder if Borghese hit real bad trouble. Yeah. If uh, he would have had the luck of bumping into <laughs> locals who could fix him up. Um, while the race had been run, the other three cars forged on. Then on August the 30th, 20 days later... The final three cars arrived together in Paris, oh. ending the 1907 Peking to Paris motor race. So only one car failed of the five. And Amazing. no deaths. And no yeah, zero insane. deaths. Oh. And that means it was two months of the day for the first place, equal second for cars two, three, and four, did it in two months and 20 days, which is less time than they said, because originally it was a three-month race. That's right. Yeah. So even and with- your man Goddard is said to have come second. Oh. oh, I mean, in spiritually, he came first. He won. Yeah. There were too many victories to count for him. But one thing I will say is he wasn't in the car when it crossed the finish line. <laughs> he what? wasn't in the car? What do you mean he was? Where was he? Well, in the final stages, the Dutchman's dramas continued. <laughs> The money he obtained from the Dutch consul in Peking finally caught up with him when a Paris court found him guilty in absentia of, for obtaining the money by deception and sentenced him to 18 months in prison. <laughs> he got arrested? At this point, he was still racing while this court case was going on. <laughs> According to Frankel, just outside Berlin, Le Matter had him arrested, ostensibly because of his conviction, but some also suggested... <laughs> to make sure a French car was first into Paris after the Italia. Oh! Uh. Spiker placed a works driver named Johann Freeling in the driving seat for the last leg of the journey, leaving Goddard in Germany facing an extradition order. But Goddard was not yet done. <laughs> yes! Yeah! Eight miles from Paris, the convoy stopped to regroup, and Goddard was there. They're ready for the final procession. He'd been extradited to Paris. Yep. As Freeling, the replacement driver, bent down over the starting handle, I guess that wind-up thing, Yeah. Yeah. for the last time, there was a disturbance in the crowd. A man burst forward, stumbled, fell, stood, and ran (laughs) to the spiker's vacant driving seat. (laughs) Goddard, temporarily beyond the clutches of the law, had come to drive his spiker into Paris. It took a swarm of police to forcibly remove him. (laughs) (laughs) Shouting as he went to his old friend Dutalis to take over the spiker he'd never driven, providing him with gear-changing tuition as he was carried away. He's like, Dutalis, you've got to be the one to drive it. Then we've done it as a team, not this new guy. It won't won't feel right if it's not you. Please, Dutalis. And he's like, the gear shift's a little shaky. You've got to twist. No, you've got to twist it. Do the movements I know. Twist it. That's it. I think exactly. It's a little finicky. <laughs> and when you and the key, it'll turn. It'll feel a bit weird, but you just got to hold on. And just and what are you gonna do? Don't let go. Just into the ground. Oh, I, lo- <laughs> I love that. I just so wild that he was able to break out of custody <laughs> to almost drive. Like, what did he oh. think was gonna happen? Well, the same thing that always happens to him. Yeah. What he wants. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no, it's sad that. 
consequences finally caught up to him. Yeah, that is sad. Well, sort of, because uh, Frankel concludes, Goddard being Goddard, talked his way out of prison. <laughs> yes! <laughs> Our boy! But little of his life is known thereafter. Though he did enter another race the f- or, or raid the following year, which I might do as a, a topic in the future, the 1908 New York to Paris race. Oh, oh. I think I've heard about this one. That one they would have had to get on a boat. Uh, they did. They, yeah, I think. Is that the one where they, look, I know that this will be answered did, yes. in yeah. another report, but wasn't the plan to drive through winter so that the, like, parts of the, the I'm pretty sure in the 1908 <laughs> New York to Paris race, and I know that this is, and I could be wrong, and I probably won't be back for the next episode, so. Well, maybe we could reunite the same team. <laughs> the the race like, well, <clears throat> um, yeah, because I'm pretty sure what they did at points was they were like, well, a car can't drive on water, but it can drive on ice. Oh, oh God. So I think they go like that's fun up and yeah, things go real bad. I real only fast. read about it briefly. I didn't see that, but that's great sizzle. Uh, well, let's see how the people like this one. They might yeah, hate this. They one. could no hate more of this. No more cars. Rubbish. Everyone loved Goddard, but fuck Goddard. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so we're coming up to the end here. Obviously, the race is over. Uh, according to Tibbles, following its remarkable victory, the Atala was in great demand and was shown in London at the 1908 Olympia Motor Show. <laughs> However, the car met an untimely end when, en route to being shipped to New York for another exhibition, it rolled into the dockside water <laughs> at Genoa. Uh, the car was eventually salvaged but was badly damaged. The Atala thus went down in history as being the only car to survive a 10,000-mile race, but not the subsequent exhibition. <laughs> <laughs> it survived everything. Yeah, except being displayed. Yeah, the view of the public. Uh, the last thing I was going to tell you about, there's been a few tribute races run in the years since. Um, and according to this great uh, resource I found called wikipedia.org, mm-hmm. uh, in 2007... The Endurance Rally Association staged a rally to celebrate the centenary of the original 1907 race. Unlike other tribute races, this one followed more faithfully to the route taken by Prince Borghese in the uh, 1907 race. Uh, Even heading to St. Petersburg, where (laughs) (laughs) Borghese attended his great banquet. (laughs) Had a party. 126 veteran vintage and classic cars took part, the oldest being a 1903 Mercedes. The major challenge of the rally proved to be Mongolia and the Gobi Desert with no conventional roads. Despite this, 106 crossed the finishing line after the rally covered uh, 12,642 kilometres in 36 days. So it wasn't even that much quicker. Even with... I mean, and they were using old cars, but they had a lot more support. And that's yeah. Cool. And they, they knew to bring the stuff. More yeah, roads. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. It, really, it's still, to me, it holds up that... Um, yeah, it's still impressive. Borghese's original, and all, all the four of them who finished it. Yeah. With all that to go It through. is crazy that not a single person died. Yeah, isn't that incredible? Yeah. yeah. So much luck involved, <laughs> and the goodwill of, of people. The kindness of strangers. Yeah, yeah really. Was. family getting that news. Your boy will be dead. But then he probably didn't die. Yeah, I don't think he died, well, did he? No, as far as I know, everyone survived. <laughs> he didn't die in the race. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to go back to an office job after that. Yeah. <laughs> He's just dead in the eyes with like a, that middle distance yeah. stare. This means nothing. 
You haven't seen what I've seen. Yeah, happy 21st birthday. You can get your license now or whatever. No, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you never drove again. <laughs> well, that brings me to the end of the report. Thanks so much, Douche and Cass, for joining us. Um, before you go, we've got a little thing. We've got everyone's favourite section of the show, but... Uh, Dave and I will do that in our own yeah, time. Yeah, that's fine. If you don't yeah. mind. So that's a yeah, sacred yeah, that's thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I get that. I understand. Uh, but before we get on to that, um, listeners who aren't familiar with Sans Pants, where can they find all your – you're on – both of you are on multiple Sans Pants podcasts. Yes. Uh, so you can find me on Plumbing the Death Star, which is a comedy pop culture podcast. Baseless Speculation, which is a comedy pop culture podcast, <laughs> where we speculate on what we think is going to happen in upcoming pop culture releases. Kind of like, uh, think of like a YouTube video where it's like 10 things you missed, but imagine everyone involved in the podcast is very stupid <laughs> and doesn't really know what they're talking about. And it's not about what you miss, it's about what you don't know yet. Yeah, yeah. yeah. and the it's one of those things where... Every now and then we're surprisingly right about one thing and then people tell us that we're right and then it makes us feel good even though we're wrong about 150 times before (laughs) that one right. Uh, I'm also the host of Thumb Cramps, which is a video game review podcast. Um, Yeah, that's that's the big three I do. Uh, They're all on the Sandspence Radio Network. Or you can find me on Twitter at Douche13, D-U-S-C-H-1-3. Yeah, you can also find me on the Sandspence Radio Network. I'm on D&D is for Nerds, but I'm also on Shut Up a Second, which is a wonderful silly little thing where you'll learn one to two things each episode and a lot of it's just fun little chats i have a great time on there joel's been on it i have it's a great podcast it's fun come listen thanks so much for having us this is speaking of speaking of fun podcasts oh yeah do go on how can we not mention oh thank you so much for having us and you're welcome for us having you at the San Spence Radio Studio so in this nice. podcast 69. 69. Yeah. No one else I'd rather do a pod 69. <laughs> Always pod 69. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. <laughs> what a way to... Thank you so much. Thank you. Welcome to everyone's favourite section of the show where we get to thank some of our great Patreon supporters who help make this show happen. Uh, I was going to be doing it with Dave, um, but... Unfortunately, since then, uh, I've hit the road recording a new show called Good Tucker with Seren Jayamana as host. Hello, that's me. Yes, very good to be here. So we're uh, we're driving from Malakuta in the far east. Far east. east. It's apparently, uh, I found this out the other day, it's the northernmost coastal town in Victoria. That's right. So it's about halfway between Melbourne and Sydney. Yeah, so it's about... Uh, I mean, we say halfway, using that term quite liberally because it's about seven hours from Sydney <laughs> and about six and a half hours from Melbourne. Yeah, so maybe Melbourne edges out Sydney there yeah. for convenience. But, but it's closer to halfway between the two than Canberra. That's true, yeah. Our yeah. so-called capital city. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, we just did an episode there in Malakuta where Saran met uh, Lucy, who runs a, a restaurant there in Malakura at a great Lucy's. time. It's called Lucy's, it's a yeah. restaurant called Lucy's? We, you didn't ask her how she came up with the name, but... That would have been a good... Oh, that's a, that's a voiceover. Yeah, that could be a voiceover. This is a little peek behind the curtain yeah. for the, um, uh, yeah, the listeners. We went out on the boat yesterday. What else did we do? We fell down a sand dune. Fell down a sand dune. We ate a lot of good food. We talked to the uh, former captain of the CFA, who obviously got a hero here in uh, Malakuta. Yeah. From the bushfires a couple of years ago. Rod. Rod was great. Rod. Loved Rod's work. Yeah. Anyway, that's Love, not what we're here for. Loves a bit of fishing, Rod. He loves a bit of fishing. Oh, dear. You, you've come to the right section of the show. Great. 
That's uh, what I want to hear. Wordplay is king. And uh, without you're filling in for Dave, who is the pun master. So it's big shoes to fill. Big shoes to fill. Um, so not literally, he has small feet. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so Ren, you haven't been on the show before, so I'll, I'll explain as we go. Um, but basically, if you want to support the show, not you, Seren. I know you don't want to, but I'm, if so, this is sort of supporting it. You are in, in a way. way right That's now. true. Um, so if you go to patreon.com slash do go on pod, you can support our show there on a bunch of different levels. The first one that we normally talk about is the fact quote or question level. Uh, and if you s- sign up on the Sydney Schoenberg level, you can get involved in this. It has a little jingle. It's got, it's called Fact Quote or Question. The jingle just says those three words or four words, Fact Quote or Question. You want to sing a little jingle for that? Jess normally does that. Fact Quote or Question? Yeah. Th- that wasn't the jingle. I'm just I was going to say, yeah, a bit more melody would be okay. ideal. Fact Quote or Question. <laughs> it's a fact or quote or question. Ding. Fact <laughs> Quote or Question. It's the fact or quote or question. That was fantastic. Uh, ding, he always remembers the ding. And uh, the way to get involved in this, go to the Sydney Schoenberg level. You get to give us a fact, a quote, or a question. Uh, you can also give us a, a brag or a suggestion or whatever you like, really. It's blown out a bit uh, since it began. But I'm gonna, I'll read out four each week, Saran. So um, if you're ready, I'm going to read out some to you right now. Okay, let's do it. The first one comes from Miguel Acosta, uh, who uh, you also get to give yourself a title. Okay. Do, do we make it clear we're in the back of a car? Well, we said we were driving from Malacuta. Okay, so that was The assumption, a... it's not a go-kart. Yes, I think they... it was implied. It's fair to yeah. Uh, so, in case there's any um, car-like sounds, we're going around a very windy road. This is the windy road that leads into Malacuta. There's only one. Yeah, it's, it's also windy the windy road. road that leads out of Malacuta. That's true, and that's the, way, that's the way we're heading. Yes. So, Miguel Acosta has given himself the title of Big boy Miggy Seaman. Is that a verb? Acosta? Acosta. What's a surname in this case? Okay. Not someone who um, accosts. Yeah. I'm an Acosta. Yeah. I've accosted you. I'm an Acosta. Is this, this is the type of puns that Dave would do? I think so. They're big shoes? They have big shoes to fill. For little feet. Uh, Miguel has offered a suggestion writing, My name's Wiggy... <laughs> My name's Miggy Wiggy and I'm here to say... I'm giving a suggestion that do go on way. I'm about as happy as everyone else to see the world slowly emerge. Okay, I don't think he's doing the... No, the rap had ended, I think. <laughs> I think the rap had yeah. ended. <laughs> but yeah, I was impressed by the way you committed to the rhythm. <laughs> uh, I'm about as happy as everyone else... To see... To see the, the world, world slowly, slowly emerge from the COVID chrysalis we've been in for the past two or four hundred years. I can't tell anymore. And I'm beyond happy to see that my favourite facty boys getting real-life live shows underway. The only thing that makes me a bit sad is that I can't actually be there for the live shows the way that I could for the digital live shows. Made me feel like I was actually there supporting my number one favourite podcast. Now enough fapping about from me. My suggestion slash question is, what are the chances that you'd implement a digital live stream element to your live shows for your fans outside of Australia? Let me throw my money at you, please. Anyway, love you. Call your mums. Dave, congrats on getting married. And Matt and Jess, congrats on waking up every day. One last thing. How'd you like to eat my shit? Well, that's very beautiful, uh, Miguel. Thank you so much for that message. That was a beautiful message. That was a beautiful message. It was quite a roller coaster. Had a lot in it. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, I presume that that's a is that sort of a running joke or an in joke that the oh the how do you like to eat my shit the Dave getting married oh Dave getting married <laughs> yes yeah yeah obviously he is a virgin uh, <laughs> not married um but yeah a little running joke we've got a, we've got going that yeah. Dave got married yeah it was pretty. Uh, he went to great lengths. He even got photos taken. Someone to model as his wife. <laughs> the um, giveaway was the big shoes. Yeah. With the big feet. Uh, thank you for that uh, suggestion and question, Miguel. I think we could probably do another live stream one at some point. Um, but Miguel would like you to incorporate some sort of digital element into the live shows. Oh. I think it wasn't that the question. Yeah, maybe it was. Yeah, or maybe. the suggestion, sorry. So some, yeah, which we did in the live streams we did during COVID, which is the main reason we did those because people weren't allowed to come out. Yeah. But had the bonus of uh, people from outside of Australia being able to watch as well. But yeah, good. I'll, uh, I'll pass that on to uh, Dave and Jess. I think that we could do another live stream at some point down the, uh, later in the year, I reckon. Thanks, Miguel. The next one comes from Sophie Shooter. Sophie Tutor. Can't believe I still get your name wrong, Sophie. Apologies for that. Uh, Sophie's got the title of Group Mum. Be nice to your sister. It's her birthday. And hers is a brag. Uh, this is it. Sophie writes, not really a brag, more of a mention. It's my sister's birthday today. Oh, that's right. Sophie messaged me saying that, asking if... Uh, I could say this one on this particular episode. And I said, I'll forget, almost definitely, but it looks like I... But you've nailed it. Looks like I nailed it, and if I have done this on the right date anyway. Um, for Christmas, I bought her a bracelet with beads that signifies Morse code. I gave her until her birthday to work out the code, and she hasn't got it yet. So, Kaf, if you don't want to know, stop listening now. There's a long-running joke in my family that she is adopted. So when I saw this, this bracelet, I just had to get it for her. So please say a big happy birthday to my, quote, this is what the Morse code says, unbiological sister, Catherine. You don't look a day over 38. That's a beautiful message, a beautiful birthday message. That's a beautiful message. And um, I would suggest probably one of the most complicated Morse code messages to decode yeah. in the history of Morse code. <laughs> I hope, you, I hope she's been able to do it. I really, I believe in Catherine. I think she she would be able to crack that code. She probably has cracked it, but she's a bit in denial. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's time to face facts. Catherine, <laughs> you're adopted. Nothing wrong with that. Uh, thank you, Sophie. Happy birthday, Catherine. Next one comes from Daniel Headley, who's also got a brag, but Daniel's given himself the title of resident dickhead of the pod. Um... It's obviously that's a there's a lot of few candidates for that role, but Daniel has the title, and Daniel's brag is every time I give myself this title, you three fight over who the actual resident dickhead is. Hopefully, I just did it again. No fighting here, Daniel. It's you. You're it. <laughs> We've finally come to terms with it. You're the you are the official dickhead of the podcast, and uh, we bow down to you. And finally, this week. Uh, we've got Kate Kate Hopner. It took me a while to read the uh, the spelling 
Yeah, you ran through it a few times in your There was a spelling guide and it took me a couple of goes. And I think you've not actually, you have to pretend that. Oh, the O's are there. Hepner. Hepner. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Like Hugh Hugh Hepner. Took me a few reads and I still got it wrong. And Kate is the acting director of Panicking Department. The Panicking Department. Uh, An important department. And uh, Kate's question is, any chance of a sneaky trip to Brisbane soon? Yeah, I reckon there's a chance. We just announced a Sydney show uh, last week or this week. So uh, surely Brisbane's next on the you, list. I reckon your answer to that should be that we went there, but it was a little too sneaky. Yeah, it was very sneaky. So you didn't probably should have let people know. You didn't know, okay. Yeah. We were just, we're there right now. No one, no, no one really came because we didn't tell anyone about it. But I think that's a great idea, Kate. Thank you so much for the suggestion. Uh, the next thing we like to do in this great section of the show. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, I told you guys about thirty to forty minutes. So you know we got. Oh, well, I saw us get to the end of that spreadsheet, and I was like, "Well, that was a that was a breeze." No. It, I'm uh, happy to be here. Oh, well, I mean, we're we've got, still got, we got about six hours to go on this drive. So um, the next thing we like to do is thank a few of our other great supporters uh, who. Uh, been on most of these people have been on I think for about a year and a half supporting the show yeah lovely and uh, normally Jess comes up with a little bit of a game to do normally it's like a word based game based on the uh, wordle a wordle based game yeah. based on the topic so this week's episode was about the picking to Paris car race so you know in a past episode we might have done like you know about Bigfoot then each person got allocated a different kind of cryptid or something okay so maybe in this car, maybe they could, you could give them each a, a, a kind of automobile to race in. Okay. There were five cars in this race and one of them was like a three-wheeler, one horsepower bike that did not make it very far. Okay. Very underprepared for the race. So maybe you could give everyone their own, uh, you know, automobile of any style. Yep. Okay. And, and I'll, I'll go through the names. Happy, let's do it. All right, awesome. Well, first up from Albuquerque in New Mexico in the United States, it's Nathan Swap. What's Nathan uh, driving in or riding? Uh, Nathan, I think you'll be driving in a Honda CRV. Honda CRV. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, sort of like an all-roads kind of automobile. Yeah, I, I, do, I think um, you know Nathan, you're coming from the US, um, so you know you you might have to you probably be driving on the wrong side of the road. So I didn't want to give you too challenging a vehicle. Right. You got the Honda CRV. Yeah, it's a good car. It's a reliable car. That's all. I think. I think. If, Am if, I playing this game right? I think so. Well, yeah. I mean, you could go. It could be anything. I'm looking at the list, and it's long, and so I. I There's wanted nine to, names. Yeah, you got to give yourself somewhere to go. Yes, exactly. You so we're starting with the CRV. Finish with the flying elephant, or exactly. whatever. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, thank you very much, Nathan, for all your support. I'd also love to thank from Amersfoort. <laughs> In the Netherlands, Nicole Rolink. Do you reckon that Ro- Would you say that Rolink? I think you dropped the O, so I think it's Relink. Relink. Yeah. Okay, good. If, Hep- if Kate Hepner has anything to go yeah. by, I think you got to drop the O. Draw, always drop the O. Yeah. Uh, that's the Dutch way. Uh, thank you so much, Nicole. What's Nicole driving? I think, Nicole, you're going to be driving a John Deere ride-on tractor. Oh, that's good. Yep. The, uh, the iconic green and gold. Yeah, the green and gold with the deer on the side and the words John Deere. Yeah. As opposed to a non-ride-on tractor? Some, some tractors are push. They've got a push tractor. That's Bo the sound guy, by the way, making a little cameo. 
I think, but there's, uh, it's good to know someone's listening. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, yeah, I think it's a ride on tra- tractor. It's a ride on mower is what I meant to say. Thanks for pulling me up on that, Bo. Uh, Save the, you getting the tweets. John Deere also make ride on mowers. I'll have you know. And it's lucky because that's what Nicole Relink yeah. will be riding, driving. And looking very smart. That, I mean, that's going to be a great front runner, Nicole, for the other... Um, the other races. Yep. They could be really just sort of mowing a path. Yes. For the races to come in, getting rid of all that long grass. Thank you so much, Nicole. I'd also love to thank from Pittsfield in, I reckon, Massachusetts in the United States, Joe Martin. It's actually G Martin, because you got to drop the O. you got to drop the O. If there's an O followed by an E, you always drop the O. O before E, drop the E, you see. <laughs> yeah. O before E, only keep the E, you see. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so what's Joe? I'm Miggy Wiggy and I'm here to say... <laughs> <laughs> now I, I, I just... Sorry to jump off Joe because it's Joe's moment in the Patreon. But Miggy Wiggy, we just assumed that that was meant to be read as a rap. That's I would like true. to revisit it at some point. It could have just been... Hey, it's Miggy Wiggy, and I've got something to say, you know. Oh, you don't think he was actually... Yeah, that's true. I hadn't really considered that. Uh, so, Joe... And what was Joe's surname? Joe's, Joe's surname was Martin. Joe Martin. Or G. Martin. G. It? Martin. He's coming from uh, Massachusetts. I'm going to say Joe, uh, Joe, G. Martin. Uh, your vehicle is a... Uh, 1972 Ferrari, uh, but it's a, a matchbox car Ferrari. <laughs> so yeah, is he being shrunk down to drive it, or or he, he just he's really walking with the car I'm, in his pocket? I'm not in charge of the logistics. Okay, but that's what he's got to work with. But I will say this: it's a collector's. Oh, it's still in the box. Still in the box. Okay. So yeah, you got a decision to make if you do have Ant Man style shrinking powers. Hey, you might lose the race, Joe, but you you definitely got something very valuable. You in get your to pocket. keep the yes. the car. So you know that's a win, I think. I'd also love to thank from Fairfield in Queensland, Australia, Alexandra Munster. Alexandra Munster. Alexandra Munster. Um, and you're from Fairfield in Queensland, Alexandra. I think the vehicle that you will be in charge of is a IGA trolley from the Eager. They call it Eager in Queensland, but it's an IGA trolley. Make sure you bring some coins, Alexandra, because you're going to have to put a coin in to get to get it, get the trolley Where you pick out. it up from. Yeah. But yeah, I think hopefully Alexandra's, her leg of the race is down a, a concrete hill. <laughs> You can, if you uh, get a bit of momentum going on foot ahead of time, you can sort of jump into the trolley yeah. and that momentum will carry you from Peking to... All the way to Paris. Paris. Jeez, you know, yeah, you'd have to get a pretty good head start. Yeah. Start on a downhill. Yeah, because you got to go through the Gobi Desert and that's hard to get traction on a trolley. There's a lot of dunes there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we wish you all the best. <laughs> At least you don't have to worry about fuel. A few of the races, a few of the competitors had some real fuel issues, running out of fuel and whatnot. And you that never, I promise you this, Alexandra, you will, with a IGA trolley, never have to worry about fuel. Never have to worry about fuel. 
that's good. Uh, a couple of people survived by drinking the water out of their radiators, but she also Guess won't be able to do that. Guess what you've got in a trolley? Plenty of water. Oh, see, so it's that's a stocked trolley. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, take it. Been from the supermarket. Don't take the trolleys. If you're at, you're already at the IGA. Yeah. Wander the aisles a little Stock bit first. Up. Yeah. That's true. Good point. Uh, thank you, Alexandra. I'd also love to thank from Idaho Falls in Idaho, which makes a lot of sense in the United States. Big stupid Jeff. <laughs> um, big stupid Jeff in Idaho Falls. Beautiful um, name for a boy or girl, I'd say. <laughs> big stupid Jeff. Yes. Um, big stupid Jeff. I think that your vehicle is probably my favourite vehicle of all the races in this uh, event. And it's actually uh, a hot air balloon. It's a hot air balloon. Hot air balloon. Yeah. So yeah, that's that's a might. I mean, if the breeze is blowing the right way, that's you can you can get from Peking to Paris. Do you think as a because it is a motor race? Do you think um, the organisers would allow that, or do they have to just like chuck wheels on just to you know in technicality? There's a like an air bud scene where the boss is like going through the rule book. Well, there's nothing in here to say that yeah. an air balloon can't enter the race. Maybe the, so the, okay, the wheels um, are, uh, you know, there's like, there's a tax loophole, at least in Victoria, where it's cheap, but you don't have to pay certain land tax or something if you're, if it's a caravan at a caravan park. Yes. So there's concreted in caravans at caravan parks just to just qualify. for to get through the loophole so they've yes. got to have the wheels on them even though they're clearly never going to be towed behind a car again yeah and I think the wheels are uh, Big Stupid Jeff actually has um, you know uh, I think they're training wheels right yeah I think they're training wheels because when he's pretty he's big he's stupid yeah no he's one's going to trust him with an actual hot air balloon straight away yeah, you got to yeah. learn the ropes. The, the first... you got to roll before you can fly. Exactly. When you're learning how to fly a hot air balloon, they actually come with training wheels. Yeah. I don't know if you know that. I didn't know that. That's fascinating. Thank you very much, Big Stupid Jeff. Nine, nine is a long list of competitors. Well, normally it's three each when oh. Jess and Dave are here. Oh, yes. So, yeah. Um, but I thought, let's stick with it. Yeah. No, I feel I'm, like I'm we're up to fun. the challenge. I'm having fun. Um, the... I'm, I'm getting slower, but I'm having fun. <laughs> You're giving more detail each time. I'd also love to thank from Manchester in Great Britain, Keenan Hinchcliffe. Keenan Hinchcliffe. Hinchcliffe. Oh, You're right. Yes. Jeez. Oh, you're reading over my shoulder better than I can read. In front of my shoulder. I <laughs> know. <laughs> oh, I've, I've just been tra- uh, uh, tripped up by this before. Right. I have a friend and his surname is Hinchliffe. Hinchliffe. And for the longest time I thought he was a cliff, but he's yeah, a Yeah, I've never heard of Hinchliffe. I've only heard of Hinchcliffe. I've got a cousin called Hinchcliffe. Yeah, well, you should double check that, I reckon. Uh, maybe I should. <laughs> you should go back and just make sure he's not a Hinchliffe. Uh, so what's Keenan in? Keenan, Keenan is keen as mustard, I think, oh. uh, and which is why he is in a uh, converted... Uh, it's one of those uh, back in the day when they were promoting um, uh, Red Bulls in Australia. Anyway, they used to have these cars that would go around and they'd do promos for. They have a big can of Red Bull on the back. Yes, he's in one of those, but it's a it's a mustard bottle. 
Oh, yeah, Colonel so it's Mustard. Yeah, it's probably also similar. It's probably also a Honda CRV, to be honest, but, but it's, it's got, got attached a, to it a, a bottle of bottle Keen's, of mustard. Keen's mustard. Wow, I love that. Big mustard fan. Big, yeah. Love mustard. Um, thank you very much, Keen, and I think that's a, that's a sick ride, especially if you've got, like, all the mustard samples in the back. Yeah, because, because you could be you could survive on mustard for yes, but you months. do you also have a bit of responsibility throughout the Peking to Paris racing that you have to be handing out samples. You're spreading the good word of yes. mustard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's awesome. So it's, yeah, it's almost like a it's like a missionary for mustard. Yes, and it's going to make it hard to win the race. You kind of have to get out in front early of the peloton. Depends on what you mean by winning, because if winning is winning the hearts and minds of of new people with well, mustard. Well, and Keenan, you are in the box seat. Oh, yeah. And the driver's seat of a Honda CRV with a mustard bottle on what top. What is the box seat? I think I think it's the at the theatre when you go to the theatre. Oh, have yeah. a box. Right. Uh, behind, backstage, there's a box and there's a seat in it. Yeah. And if you're... Um, at the theatre? Yeah. Wow. Uh, thank you, Keenan. I'd also love to thank from Avalon Beach in New South Wales, Australia, Siobhan, single name there, kind of like your Shurs or your Madonnas. Yep. Oh, yeah. Everyone know you. if you say Siobhan, you, you're like, oh, you, you mean from Avalon Beach. Yes. Yeah, I know Siobhan. Yeah. She's um, she's not big and she's not stupid, I'll tell you that much. Yeah. Siobhan. She leaves that to Jeff. So, Siobhan, you're from Avalon Beach in New South Wales. It's a beautiful part of the world beautiful there the world. at Avalon Beach. Actually, the play, Avalon Beach is the place where the airplane was invented. Really? Yep. That's why Avalon Airport outside of Avalon Melbourne. Airport in Melbourne is named after the Avalon Beach because that's where the airport, that's where the um, airplane was invented. This sounds like a real <laughs> fact. It's a true fact. So there was that Wright brothers or pre Wright brothers? They, I wouldn't say they were right or they were wrong, <laughs> but they were brothers. And they were having a go, and that's the main thing. Have a go, Avalon. Avalon. Do you remember when Toyota tried to it's launch a competitor for the Falcon and the Commodore, and they, it was called Avalon, and the the campaign. What was Sir Leslie Patterson? He oh was on, yes, he, he yeah. did these ads, and the catchphrase was. Avalon Drive and you'll never look back. Beautiful. And I thought that was brilliant. Yeah, that's... Um, a lot of people forget that ostentatious, really just doing Les, so Les Patterson. Yeah. Uh, so we've got to tell Siobhan what she's driving. And, and I, I, I assume an, a Toyota Avalon. Well, I love that you brought up Toyota, Matt, because that is... You, I didn't even have to do any work there because you knew exactly... Sir Les co-pilot? What I was going to say. I think that'd be a dream team. I think, it's Sir, I Les. think his surname is Patterson, not, yes. not co-pilot. Okay, sorry. Apologies. <laughs> Bit of respect for the Sir, for the Lord. Uh, thank you, Siobhan. And I'd also love to thank from Godstone in Surrey, I reckon, in Great Britain. It's Xander Bryce. Okay. Xander Bryce from Godstone in Surrey, right near the Oval. Ah, I don't know if it is, but Surrey. I think the Oval is yeah, closer than we are now. Exactly, and that's it's all relative yeah. distance, which is why Xander, you will be. It is relative, and so you shouldn't feel too disadvantaged that you your vehicle is um, puffing Billy. Wow, that's a great get. 
the, the train are, are there tracks laid down from Peking to Paris do you for your international listeners need to provide any context as to I normally going? overdo context for um, Australian references to the point that it annoys Dave and Jess but yeah so they're not here so I may as well it's like a weird little sort of a quaint tourist attraction it's, in the suburbs of Melbourne yeah it's a train which I don't believe was ever a functional train oh it was only ever made for yeah it's sort of in the in this in the hills in, yeah it's sort in of in country the country Victoria forest hills of, forest hills just outside of Melbourne yes and it's like an old steam train yeah and it's, it's sort of it's not like international tourists it'll just be like Melbourne kids and their families mainly yeah. I think that's when I went out there did you ever go as a kid I've never actually been on Puffing Billy yeah right. I remember I'm, going I'm hoping I Xander will take me for a, five or something for a ride. And um, yeah, they do an annual race where you can run against Puffing Billy, and yeah. humans regularly beat yes. it. And so this time, Xander, the race, unfortunately, you won't be racing people on barefoot. No, you'll be racing a guy in a hot air balloon and a yeah. couple of Honda CRVs. But is he's going to be the only one on tracks? That's true. Yeah, because a lot of the. Uh, the Peking to Paris race was they, they drove along train tracks. Really? Yeah. Also, they, the tracks are already late. Yeah. I was worrying. I started. I started to drift because I was thinking about how we we're going to have to build tracks. The only issue might through be the, the desert the, through the, the Gobi Desert. Yeah, maybe the gauge is wrong. That'd be the only issue. Uh, yeah. What maybe is, they'll have to adapt the yeah. Puffing Billy's wheels. They almost certainly the gauge would be wrong because the gauge. Between Victoria and New South Wales, and New South is Wales is wrong. That's so strange. Uh, thank you, Xander. Enjoy having a puff. And finally, from Palmyra, maybe in New York. Xander, I wouldn't recommend it. I think you should be sober when you're driving. <laughs> okay. But I mean, it's on tracks. What could go wrong? True. Puff away. Uh, from Palmyra, maybe in New York, in the United States, it's Ethan McLean. Ethan McLean. I love Palmyra in New York. Um, it's one of my favourite. I think it's Palmyra. Palmyra. Pal- Palmyra. Palmyra. Yeah. Ethan McLean, uh, son of John. Yeah. McLean. Hippie Kaye, motherfucker. Hippie Kaye. And your vehicle actually is going to be uh, the. A lot of people don't know this, but the Empire State Building, which uh, is. On, which has wheels. They've got that up on wheels. That's how do you think they got it in there? Yeah, yeah real. I did not know that. Yeah, it was built in... Uh, uh, the French built it, and then as a gift to America. Was on, that... Upon yeah. independence, they wheeled it in. No, I think that was actually the inspiration for uh, Donkey Kong and Mario Kart, was the King Kong ending of the movie. Because that didn't it end with him riding... A racing around a track on the Empire State Building. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. That's exactly right. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't cross over there with um, Prime. Primates. Prime yeah. Mates. And I mean, if you're a primates uh, a podcast lover, there's a couple of episodes of Saran that you should really go back yeah. and listen to. This voice might be familiar. Uh, yeah. So that's the the last thing left for us to do. I should just say once again, thank you very much to Ethan, Xander, Siobhan, Keenan, Big Stupid Jeff, Alexandra, Joe, Nickel, and Nathan. The last thing we need to do is... Thank you and good luck. And good luck, yeah. All the best in the race. We'll see you at the finish line. See you there. At the Awful Tower, is that where we're going to finish? Or the Arc de Triomphe? Yeah, I think at the uh, Arc de Triomphe. 
I didn't realize you uh, spoke a little French. No, sorry, just clearing my throat. I, we will meet at the Arc de Triomphe. The last thing we need to do, yes. Saran, yep, yep. is welcome some people into the Tributes Club. It's all theory of the mind here. Okay. So every, you get a ticket in and you're in for good. It's okay. a lifelong membership Whoa. in this exclusive club. This must be the hottest ticket. Yeah. It is a hot ticket, yeah. All it takes is three years of support. And uh, what, what happens is I'm standing at the door. I've yep. got the clipboard out. I've got the guest list. I'll read out the names. You're going to have to play the role of Dave Warnicky here, the okay. pun master, who normally does a little pun as he hypes them up into the room. Okay. So he, you're up on stage. Yep. You've got the mic. You're emceeing the event. Okay. Everyone who's been welcomed into the club before is standing, slow clapping as they're welcoming oh, them okay. in. Oh, okay. You're up on stage giving them the, the, the thing that really makes them feel most welcome, and that is a weak pun on their name okay. or city. Yeah. And uh, you also normally book a band, or Dave does, but you're in his place. Okay. Some, often it's coincidentally to do with the topic, but it could be about it could be any band. Okay. Living or Dead, who have you got booked tonight? To, oh, just the one band? Yeah. Yeah, great. Um, tonight we have the... Uh, um, uh, Dave Matthews and the Little River Band. Whoa. That's a that's a super group. Have I brought together two different things then? Yeah. No. Okay. <laughs> I think you brought together Dave Matthews. Yes. And the Little River Band. <laughs> Great. That's what I wanted. Uh, and they're they're playing an acoustic set uh, before um, the food comes out, and then after the food, they're going to come back on, and they're going to go a cappella. Oh wow! They're going. I thought they were going to come out electric, but they went backwards. No, they acapella. lost their instruments. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I think Little River Band could do it if anyone can. Uh, what about Dave Matthews? Dave Matthews should be involved as well, yeah. Seeing yes. as he's here, we may as well utilise him. We have booked them both. It was yep. a double booking and I regret You've that. You've made it work though. I regret that, but you know, from accidents come uh, solutions. Yeah, that's true. It's beautifully put. Thank you. Uh, accidents are the mother of invention. That's that's the action, yeah. That's not either, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing Jess does is normally she makes up a cocktail oh, based okay. on the show title. So what's the Peking to Paris cocktail involve? The Peking to Paris cocktail is... I know uh, one ingredient I know it has is water from the car's uh, radiator. Yes, and from the trolley. Oh, yeah. From the IGA trolley. Uh, so the, the cocktail that will be present uh, at the event this evening is the... Um, H two go go. Oh, yep. <laughs> and that the H two go go is uh, water. Yep. You get a little bit of um, water from the tap, and as well as that, some water from the Mount Franklin uh, bottle. Uh huh. Shake it up together, and then to that you add a spritz. <laughs> Well, that sounds delicious, and I think people are going to really look forward to those. I mean, they yeah. can get any other drink, but that's the specialty for tonight. <laughs> so I'm going to welcome in two names. This is the last thing we need to do okay. before we say sure. goodbye. Uh, so you ready? You got to really you ready to hype them yes. up? Yes, I'll yes, throw yes. the names at you. You can't okay. look ahead, please. Okay, sure. You just got to go. You got to work with either some sort of a pun or wordplay on the city or the name, and uh, just really rev them up okay. here. Okay. Uh, if you do it like Dave, they're always awful. But okay. he says it. Him and Jess like them, but. Anyway, uh, first up from Alexandria in uh, Virginia in the United States, it's Christine Walk. Uh, okay. 
Alex, oh, ladies and gentlemen, please uh, bang your hands together, make some noise, tap those forks on those tinnies, and get some hype in the room please ladies and gentlemen that's not good enough i need more energy from you <laughs> lovely welcome for the uh, to experience her very first time here at this triptych club please ladies and gentlemen lose your minds go crazy for it's not christopher walken <laughs> it's not christine nixon it's and no one else can do uh, it's not a jog it's not a run it's a christine pristine walk <laughs> is that sort of what dave does i mean that was way more than what dave does okay. that was that was great you really value added christine walk got got the vip service there and secondly and finally uh into the triptych club this week thank god there's only two of these <laughs> from yeah sometimes there's way too many but it's from vancouver in washington in the United States, Terry Lynn. Okay. Um, ladies and gentlemen, you did it for Christine Walk. You've only got to do it one more time tonight. And then we're going to get stuck into the H2 Go-Go's and we're going to hear from the Dave Matthews and Little River Band off mic. Please, bang those hands together. A little bit started over here with the golf clap. Thank you. Yes. And bring it around the room all the way to the back. Go crazy for, please, ladies and gentlemen. She's not wearing a Terry towel shirt. <laughs> and she definitely isn't wearing linen. But that's because it's Terry. Ladies and gentlemen, go crazy for Terry Lynn. Welcome, Terry and Christine. Saran, you've done a fantastic job there. Thank you for having me. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk to Dave, get him to listen to this tape, and see if he can improve and learn. Because that's all we ask, you know. You f you didn't only fill his his, his shoes, I you exploded them. <laughs> Your toes are poking through the yeah. end. Uh, thank you, Saran, so much for helping me out. My with pleasure. Everyone's favourite section of the show. Um, I didn't have much choice, to be honest. Do you want? Is there any anything you want to tell people about? Anything anywhere people can find you or whatnot? Uh, yeah, I um, I'm making a television show at the moment with Matt Stewart um, from the Do Go On podcast. It's called Good Tucker, and it should be hitting your screens, whether they be the uh, sixty inch or six inch screens. Uh, and, so it doesn't uh, matter when it comes to screens. No, It'll or be anything. True. Or anything. Or anything. And, uh, and it should be hitting that around circa September. That's right. And if um, is your special still available to watch? Oh, you, you can listen. I have a comedy special that uh, was recorded in 2018, and you can uh, hear that on the ABC Podcasts podcast. And uh, I also was on an episode of Primates. Yeah, you're on two. Two episodes, but we don't talk about the first one. <laughs> what was the first one? Okay, I can't well. remember. But it was, I think we, it was a mighty boosh. And, oh, um, yeah. I yeah, it's hard to talk talk about something that's already, already funny. Already funny. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> uh, anyway, thank you so much for helping me. No worries. Thanks around. for having me. If people want to find uh, us online, we're dugonpod.com is the website, and dugonpod is on all the social medias as well. Get in contact. Uh, there's a link in the show notes to suggest topics. Anyone can do that. Like I said before, if you want to support the show, patreon.com slash pod. And there's merch now as well. We're, we're doing T-shirts and stuff again, and they're available via the website too. So get involved in all that what if you want to. T-towels? We should do T-towels. It's a good tip. Terry, Terry, ta Terry we could get do Terry Lynn towels. Terry Lynn towels. <laughs> I think that's a good idea. Yeah. 
I'll have to talk to Terry first, but yeah, if she's up you've got to run that past Terry. Awesome. All right. Cheers. And, and uh, what is Jess says bye at the very end. So I'll say uh, goodbye, ladies, and bye. You know that. Thanks. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.